You're listening to Earnestly Speaking, the only weekly podcast that covers friends, foes, and anything that goes. And now, for your badass host, Ernest Owens. And we're back with another episode of Earnestly Speaking with your host, Ernest Owens, myself. <laughs> well, well, you know it is that time. Of the week, and also it's a little late because I had just came back from the Oscars party, so you can already imagine what time I'm recording this. But I'm high energy, of course. I am fully excited to do this podcast and super filled with energy with everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, Oscar party was 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 pretty damn good. Um, I was at the Philadelphia Film Society, which is on 14th and Chestnut which is the old Harold Prince Theater, for those who remember. It's right next to Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse, right across the street from the W. I was there for the lovely 95th Academy Awards watch party, VIP, of course. Me and Mr. Johnson went. It's our favorite, one of our favorite things to do as a couple every year. We look forward to Oscar season. We we watch all of the films, most of the major films nominated, and we just go and we come with our prediction sheet. And as all of you saw, most of my predictions were um, pretty solid. I only had one miss, but we'll get to that um, later in the episode. But I want to just start off by just saying that this episode is going to be very lit. Um, it's going to be very hot. And as you can see with the title of this episode, there will be no crumbs left behind because I have a lot of things to get off my chest now that we're in the throes of this um, mayor's council, city council races in Philly and a couple of big things. There's a a lot to talk about. So before I get in, I'll tell you all how I've been doing. So for starters, book tour has been great. I just wrapped up the first leg of the tour, which was in Brooklyn. Shout out to everybody who came out. You know, Abel, Nina, a couple of other folks that showed up and showed out um, at the book tour. It was a blast. It was a lot of great people I hadn't seen before. Um, people who I've been following on Instagram, they came through. Folks I went to college with over the years and you know, haven't seen in almost a decade. I was like, wow, how you been? So shout out to a lot of folks that came out and showed love um, in Brooklyn. I went to a really great restaurant called Boutros with Abel, and it was incredible. Um, just really, really happy um, that Brooklyn was a great place to do the tour. I was the first um, book author who did a speaking engagement inside that new Barnes and Nobles location, which is on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. This is a brand new store. They've been around for a couple of months, I believe, but I was the first author to do a speaking engagement downstairs. So shout out to the staff and the crew who were there, who showed love. I signed some copies. So if you're in Brooklyn at that Barnes and Nobles, there are some special edition autograph signed copies that I signed in location there that you can purchase um, if copies are still available. Um, but it's it was been it was just a lot of love and just really grateful for all of the people who've been supporting the book and talking about it. Um, right now we're getting ready to uh, formulate the second leg of the tour. There will be some new cities um, slated, some that's going to be you know other parts of the city. Can't repeat the names yet. We're confirming locations, but the goal is to get back out, of course, in April, um, in May, and we're going to just keep on rocking the tour into the summer. And then there's going to be some big things come up in the fall, but I can't tell you. About about it yet, but it's going to be lit. So we're, we're just keeping it going. The tour has been picking up steam. I've been getting a lot of great speaking engagements. Shout out to the collective 
speakers, my agent, um, Sean Lawson. If you want to book me for a paid speaking engagement, no matter where you are in the country, if you're trying to fly me out, a lot of great places have done that lately. Definitely hit up the link tree. If you have an organization, a school, a company, a university, whatever, I do speaking engagements. We can talk about this book. We can talk about other things, but I am available. Um, I'm available. I'm open uh, this year for, for great speaking engagements. People have been booking me all over. I'm already booked the first week in April to go to Boston. Won't tell you where I'm going just yet. But I'm, I'm having some great opportunities. So if you are looking for a speaker as dynamic as me, holla at me. Um, go to my website, ernestomans.com. You can see there the information on hitting up my agent who will help with my traveling and booking and get all that taken care of. But yes, I am available. I am available. I'm available for speaking engagements, opportunities like that. And also other things. I do consulting. I do other things. So if you're interested in working with me on that level and you think it's a great spot, whether you're in Philadelphia, Jersey, New York, Vegas, Santa Clara, Boston, everywhere, just we're here. So check that out. A lot of you have been hitting me up. A lot of people have been hitting my agent. There's been a lot of bookings. We're working it out. The calendar is lining up the dates, making sure everything is in order. But um, we're here to kick this thing off. So just want to thank people who've already been sending their inquiries. We're looking at them right now. And for people who are interested in trying to figure out what it is, shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. You know, it can, you know, I'm flexible with, with rates and different things. Not, 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 let's just say, not that flexible now. But it can, it depends. Like, let's say you're in Philadelphia and you say, look, it's a one hour situation. I'm, I'm not doing anything that day. And you like, look, I want to da, da, da. Da, da, da. We can maybe make that work. Now, if you over here like, look, I need you to come all the way on the other side of the country. And, you know, it's a different kind of conversation. I'm saying yesterday's prices aren't today's prices, but y'all get it. So um, definitely feel free to hit me up um, and hit up my agent and check out my website. Um, definitely love doing great events. There's been some great speaking engagements I've done so far this month and also, you know, for the rest of the spring and the summer and, of course, the fall and the winter. So. I want to put that out there. Um, I've made some really great media appearances this week. Some of that stuff has been coming out already. I've been making some appearances on some great podcasts, um, which I just did something recently that was dope. Um, something for the culture, voices for the culture. I can't keep up, but I have other um, appearances that I'll be making um, also for the rest of this month to promote the book. Um, so stay tuned. I am promoting a lot of media um, opportunities and events and different stuff. Um, but it's great. It's, I always love coming on people's podcasts because, you know, I love to just support other folks, projects and things they're doing, but I also love to be on the other side where people are asking me questions and, and asking me different stuff. So it's always good to be on the receiving end of it. Um, you know, Convos for the Culture was a great podcast I was on this week for those who listened to it. It was super dope. Um, they were great people. But yeah, it's, it's always a great opportunity, a blessing to be able to, you know, showcase and talk about what I love. So, uh, it's been awesome. I'm also made an appearance on News Nation, which apparently that episode is going to run later this week. So I'm just going to hear more details about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's, it's been quite the time. So if it depends on what time you listen to this episode on Monday, Monday, March 13th, you know, this daylight savings time, whatever this rolling back, we just lost an hour child. I'm, I, I felt it this morning. I was like, Ooh, I know I get up early, but damn, I'm feeling like it's already 930, but it was actually 830. My body was saying it was 830, but the clock was saying 930, but that was interesting. But I just, um, tried this drink 
which they claim is supposed to be a recovery drink. It's called Morning Recovery for When You Drink by a company called Labs More. Um, and they say, take this tonight. So I'm taking it tonight. They say, consume while drinking or up to one hour after you drink your last drink. Apparently, it's supposed to keep you fresh and looking good, yada, yada, yada. We'll see. I'm taking a sip now as I'm talking to this podcast. Mm. It don't taste bad. It's decent. It's 100 milliliters. Um, it's called morning recovery. We'll see if I wake up and, you know, be a new. But they apparently sell it at Urban Outfitters. Mm. I'll let you know if it works. We'll see. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting drink. Um, so, yeah, I am working. I'm doing a lot of things. So, um, at 11 a.m. on Monday, March 13th from 11 to 1. So, if you listen to this podcast early in the morning and you got a lunch break between 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'm going to be at Uncle Bobby's bookstore. Yes, I'm going to be in Germantown. This kind of happened impromptu. So if you've been following my social over the past weekend, you probably saw this already. I am going to be at Uncle Bobby's bookstore in person. Mark Lamont Hill will also be there because he's the owner of the bookstore. We will be there and I will be signing copies of my book, The Case for Council Culture, in person at Uncle Bobby's. It's going down. A lot of you are like, oh my goodness, this is really happening. Yes, it is. Listen, time changes things. And sometimes, you know, when people sit down and have real conversations and get to know each other and, you know, have the real conversations, progress happens. And so I'm very happy to see progress happen, right? Amongst two black men in this intellectual space and this media landscape, being able to set aside differences, come to some understanding, find common ground and work together and make things happen. We love to see it, don't we? And we love to see it when it's real, right? Because a lot of times people will have those conversations and people just go, okay, whatever. But no, it, it has been um it's been quite um good. It's been it's been great to just see people, you know, say they're gonna do something and mean it. And so, you know, Mark has definitely done that. And I definitely have been appreciating the support that he has shown for this book. Um and has has continuously been um, just a really good guy. So uh, we love to see it. And um, we're going to be there. I'm going to be there um, signing copies of books. So some of you are in Philadelphia. who has been like, oh, I haven't seen you in Philly. I am going to be doing something in Philly in April. There will be a Philadelphia date. A new Philadelphia date on the tour will be coming up as a collaboration at a really great place I love in West Philly. Hint, hint. And um, stay tuned for that. Um, I, I can't say more yet because I, I, you know, you know. How it is when you're doing stuff with other groups, you know, you can't just put just you could put it out for yourself, but you got to, you know, make sure, you know, folks have everything together. But there will be something coming up in April as well. But for people who are hearing this at 9 a.m. or 8 or early and might be like, damn, what am I doing from 11 to 1? Let me run my ass over there and get these books signed and get some new dope or take some pictures. I'll be taking pictures. I'll be signing copies of the book. And everything else. So please come through if you can. If you can't, I get it because it is a Monday. It is a work day. But we'll be in Germantown, you know, all in your city, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Monday, March 13th. And if there's people out here who listen to the episode after Monday, they be like, damn, I wish that could have been me. I wish I would have came. Well, I hope you've been following the social because I've been definitely promoting it on the social heavily. And so has Uncle Bobby's and everyone. So hopefully I see some of y'all there. 
Um, but yeah, so other things be going on. My younger brother, my temple Al, he turned 20 uh over the weekend and he just came back from spring break. Temple had their spring break last week. He was in Puerto Rico with his girlfriend. I mean, he's just living his best life. We went to dinner at White Dog Cafe over the weekend. And I must say, White Dog Cafe, I like White Dog Cafe. Now, I know there's one in Wayne. I haven't been in the one in Wayne. I've been going to the one in University City for like 13 years. This has always been a staple for me and my friends at Penn. I've been going for 13 years. I'm a loyal White Dog Cafe goer. Okay, I should be getting my paws and stripes by now um, and bones. But I, I love White Dog Cafe. Um, it was great. We had dinner there, and they always find creative things. There's a new special they have um, where they had that night. It was like a tuna special, but it had a Japanese twist to it. It was good. And um, what did I have? I had for I had the duck breast because I'm basic. You know, I love duck. And then my younger brother had short rib, and then Mr. Johnson had the trout, and we shared the the tuna dish for the three of us just because y'all wanted to try it and it was good and the cocktails and everything was fabulous it was a good time so it was nice to celebrate his birthday and of course you know they say what do you give brothers for birthdays listen i just give him money at this point college kids want money okay they either want money or concert tickets that's what they want you try to get fancy with them and buy them a watch and get sentimental they like that stuff it's cute but they want money. They need money. They need money to burn, okay? And so my plan was I wasn't going to give him his money while he was on spring break because I knew if he went to Puerto Rico, he was going to blow it, and he was going to hit me up and try to cash at me and be like, hey, you know, I need some. So I just was like, you know, I'm going to let him have his little spring breaks, you know, do his little thing, and then when he comes back dry, then who's going to have to, you know, replenish that account? Yours truly. So that was his birthday gift. I sent him some money at the table. He was pleased with the amount. It was great. But my goodness, 20 years old? He's a sophomore in college? Where did time go? Like, I swear I was a sophomore. I swear I was 20 like yesterday. I'm 31. I'm giving him money? You know, it's interesting. You know, Nepo Baby's been winning lately, okay? He knows. I call him a Nepo Baby. That's my joke. That's none of your jokes. You better not call him that. If you do, it's going to be a problem. But um, I tease him about it. And I, 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 Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, she's, you know, just won an Oscar, ladies and gentlemen. We're happy over here. But, you know, Angela Bass, I'm going to get to that later. But anywho, she embraces being Nepo Baby. Nepo Babies are winning out here in this world. Clearly, he's a Nepo Baby. He's winning out here in this world. They just winning. They winning. I, I, I'm not a Nepo Baby myself, but he clearly is. So much that he was in Puerto Rico. And a couple of friends I had known in college and I knew saw him and stopped him and asked him, do you go to Temple? And then he was like, yes. He already knew where this was going. Are you Ernest's brother? And it was like, he was like, yes. So he already knew. They took selfies, child. They they send them to me, text me, telling me, oh my goodness, you hit me up on social. Like, oh my goodness, I saw your brother in Puerto Rico. I was like, oh, I know. He can't go. And the crazy part is I'm very intentional. I don't tag him on social. If you know, you know who he is. I've gone to events. If you see me out with him, it's not like I hide him. It's just that I am also mindful that the internet is ridiculous. And so I'm very, you know, he's getting to be grown. He's grown. But like, you know, I'm very mindful about it because social media is, is ridiculous. Like, you know, when I used to tag my husband to things, and I still do sometimes on like Instagram sometimes, whenever I get like a, a bunch of trolls, they will then go on my 
page, my friends' pages, because I have my I have my settings set. Like I don't play on my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook. My settings are ridiculous. Unless I follow you back, you cannot comment on my shit. Just what I do because. They'll be like, well, why you don't open up the comments? Because you're not going to say anything respectful in the comments. And I have a good level of discernment. Like, when people who are long fans and say, oh, look, I, I, I just, I'm a fan or whatever. Or I'm just supportive. Yeah, I open up the comments. I might follow them back and you no know, comment and, and whatnot. But there are just people who are not intentionally going on there for anything good. They go there to say disrespectful things, racist things, homophobic things. When I got doxxed by Sean King, you know, where he just really put me on front street to his hundreds of thousands of followers. I remember a bunch of them came on my shit like crazy. Got all in my comments, got on my husband's comments, got all on there and was just saying crazy stuff. And it was like, this was ridiculous. Like these people were incessant trolls. Like it wasn't like, oh, a disagreement. This is like people just was just being ridiculous. So, you know, I changed those settings and I never looked back and I don't care. People were like, well, what about people? People can't come. No, you fucking can't. If you, if you care as much, get in them DMs. And they do. They get the DMs. And you know what I do? I look, block, delete, and keep it moving. But like all of that whole, or, or put your name on it, right? And so it's, so I'm very selective about that. And so with him, he's a college student. And people don't care whether you're a college student, you're a young person. They're just stupid out here. So I'm very selective about, you know, those types of things. You know, people that know who my family are, my family folks are close, they're closer, they know. But I don't, I'm very mindful about broadcasting names and locations and all these things because it's there. But people see them sometimes and they they recognize them and they're very much very much so respectful and kind and thoughtful Um, because he is young and he is a student. And, you know, again, you know, he can't help that he's siblings with a famous person that's outspoken. But yeah, I'm very mindful about that overall. Um, it's funny because in person, everybody keeps it cute and calm. But in, in the, you know, it's always the social media, the little comments and that. That's what people like to show their ass. People, when they see you in person, they typically are shy or standoffish. I've had situations where I literally seen certain people that talk shit in the comment section that I recognize, but then they see me in certain sections and sessions and they so standoffish. I'm like, you know who I am. Stop acting like you don't. You be, you be talking shit. It's okay. Keep it moving. That's how I move. But but you know it's 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 a lot when you are on the internet talking, but your words don't match your your attitude, and your vibe because something happens, right? Especially when you're doing it to a good person. Just saying. Um, but yeah, I I it it was an interesting. It's been interesting seeing that that um aspect of, I guess, fame and visibility happen. But um, he had a really great birthday. It was a great dinner. I had a fabulous time. He did too. PABJ had our Women's History Month survey at Booker's, which, well, we had at Bayou Lounge, which is owned at Booker's. Let me be clear real quick. The, it's not a rumor. It's true. Booker's is now owned by a couple named Tracy, who's a man, and uh, Cherry, or Sherry, uh, Syfax. They are a black couple. They're an older black couple that now own Booker's and Bayou. So that, Saadi, everybody who knows Saba, who used to own it, she doesn't own it anymore. She sold it. It's all good. There's no drama. 
she wants to focus on raising her two sons, which is an important thing. She wants to really focus on her family right now. And her sons are growing up and she's focused on her family and she is completely happy. She trusts these owners, these new owners. They're black. They, they're all about keeping the, the, the vibe of bookers. They're definitely bringing in some elevated food and some good options. We just had an event there, PABJ. The women of PABJ hosted an incredible soiree um, honoring women. Um, shout out to Raquel Williams, Tam Edwards, Ashley uh, Ashley Johnson, and Desiree Peter Kimbell, who was the keynote speaker. They were um, amongst the honorees and celebrated folks that was there. We had women from all over Philadelphia, Black women specifically, that showed up. But we also had our um, accomplices with us, too. So shout out to uh, Kelly um Mirbot came out and showed up. Shout out to um, some incredible women at CBS3, um, Kelly Frank and Kathy Giroux. All of them came out and supported this event. We had so many tickets. We did really well. It was an incredible event. And of course, this is the first time I've went since the new owners took over, which was like the beginning of March. So I'll go through, try the new food, see the vibe, to do some new things there. But really, Bayou Lounge is definitely dope. This is a private event that we had at Bayou Lounge. And then, of course, Booker's is, is, is open to the general. So it was a great event. The food was popping. The energy was good. The drinks were great. Um, really loved it. And the, and the women were very happy to be honored. And it was a really positive time. So one of my favorite events I like to throw is PBJ president in the community. Um, but it was a great event. Um, and very happy that people were there. Um, so yeah, that was great. Um, Sazeracs and Suits, me and Amanda went there. It was at Hotel Palmar, which is a Crimpton hotel. We went there, um, early this week. There was, it was an interesting event. Sazeracs, they were strong. Food, not that much food. But it was really more about the just the Sazeracs and the charity. We were supporting a place called Wardrobe, which gives, I guess, supports people who um, are able to get meaningful fashion and apparel to support them as they, you know, restart their life and whatnot. And so I won two gifts from the silent auction, which I was excited about. I won a um, luncheon from 12th Street Catering to provide lunch for 10 of my friends. So that's dope. So I guess I'm going to do that with some people I know. We're going to have like a luncheon and I'll get some 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 food catered. So that's one of the things I want. And I also want this great spa package. Oh my goodness. Like massages, everything and it's everything. A big old gift card and it came with like a massage set in the evening. So I think that's something I want to do later in the summer. But it was a really nice spa package that I also won in the silent auction. Silent auctions are fun. You have some money, I suppose. It was fun. It was dope. Um, What else? So I went to some new restaurants and a couple of familiar ones. And super excited about that because I know y'all ready to get into the hot tea, so I don't want to take up too much time. Um, so Sazerac's was great. There is a vegan restaurant in Queen Village, Fits on Fourth. That restaurant, I talked about it on social Instagram earlier this um, this week, last week. Incredible vegan restaurant. Yes, I've heard of Veg. Of course I've heard of Veg. I know about V Street. Yes, I know about Hip City Veg. I know all the spots that are vegan, the main ones. But let me tell you about Fitz on Fourth. That is an incredible vegan restaurant that's affordable, because that's important to affordable, flavorful, 
and nice portion sizes. And the food is so good, it's not even about it being vegan. It was just some good damn food. I Honestly, I couldn't taste the difference. The meatballs, I couldn't taste the difference. The tacos, I couldn't taste the difference. Honestly, I just ate the food. And it was great. It was great. I wasn't even picking my fork, trying to be, you know, funny and figure out what was what. I just ate the food. It was good. It was healthy. It was filling. It was all plant-based, but it was flavorful. It, it, you know, it didn't feel like struggle because some of these vegan spots, you taste struggle on the plate. Okay. They have a hard time masking it. And what I loved about this place was that it wasn't like everything was just basically tofu. You know, a lot of these vegan vegetarian places, they're so lazy. Everything's tofu or just black bean, which I don't mind a black bean burger now. But this was different. They were playing with kiwa. They were playing with satan. They were playing with all types of different types of grains and tempeh and tempeh, I guess it's called. But they were having different types of proteins and everything was good. Everything tastes good. Those cocktails were immaculate. The dessert was, oh my goodness, it was really good food. And so if you're looking for a cool, fun place to eat, um, I highly recommend Fitz on Fourth. Um, if you're trying to do a meatless Monday, a meatless date night, Mr. Johnson and I went on a little date. It was a cute little Thursday night date. We wanted to try this place out. We had heard about it. And it's a spot, man. It's a vibe. It's in Queen Village around South Philly. Um, and it was just chill reservations. You know, it's easy to make one. It was decent, highly recommended. Really, really was impressed with that place. I was, yeah, it was great. And if you want to know more about my restaurant reviews on different places across Philadelphia, I am on Google. Okay. I, I've created, I'm, I'm all in. Because people have been asking me how they can find my stuff. Now, I do have the hashtag, hashtag Ernest Eat. Not Ernest Eats, Ernest Eat on Instagram. You can use that hashtag and you can follow the hashtag and you can get updates on all the places I'm eating throughout Philadelphia. Because I'm eating my way through Philadelphia with my, of course, Lip Brothers. Um, You know, Josh Eats Philly. Awesome. Right? Geo's Table. And, of course, Jamarcus Henderson, the Lip Brothers. We're all together and we eat and drink our way through Philly. But, you know, we all do different things. So Josh goes to all types of places. Um, he's more of the, um, he's, his, 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 it's interesting because he's doing date nights now. And then he's also doing, like, he likes a lot of fun food and a lot of hot fun food spots. And then that's like his style. So we all got our own, like, personalities. Like, Josh is more into, like, okay, what's the latest hot dog pizza spot? You know, junk food. He does do date nights in some nice spots as well, but he's all about what's the hot, like, eye-catching, eye-grabbing type of food. Um, Gio, uh, George, of course, uh, Dr. Gio, uh, he likes food that's like soul food. He's into, like, Black-owned venues and restaurants. He's into some really nice, like, Thero restaurants, and he travels. Like, he goes to different parts of the country and try food from different places. And then Jamarcus is all about the drinks and the cocktails. So when you see his page, it's liquor. It's liquor. <laughs> he loves a good bar. He loves bars and nightlife and nightclubs. So we all have our flair. And my flair, honestly, I'm a bougie bitch. I'm normally at these high-end restaurants most of the time. Now, I go to different spots all around, right? And I try to find affordability. But I'll be at the most, like, ridiculous as, like, high-end spots in Philly with the top chefs and things. That's, like, my thing. So when you go on my page, a lot of times you're going to have to break the bank or put some money aside sometimes. Then I also find a couple of places where, okay, it is not expensive as fuck, but the food is always on the top 10 level. So I'm always about elevation. You're not really going to see donuts and pizza on my page. 
you're going to see like, you know, oysters and, 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 and seafood towers and that kind of stuff. Um, so we, we all have a different flair and vibe and it's great and it makes the Lit Brothers awesome. So we'll be out and about in your city, uh, well, in your city, in your, in your neck of the woods because we travel throughout Philly. Um, so you'll see us, we'll be around, um, we'll be somewhere actually next Sunday. Uh, we're not going to, I'm not telling where that is, but we'll be somewhere next Sunday at a very familiar place that we all for love and the, and the people that love us too. So we're getting together there. Um, but other places I went to this week. So Lauren and I, my, my good Judy Lauren, we went to Pearl and Mary. Y'all saw that seafood tower. I barely ever put pictures of myself near food. I always typically show y'all the pictures of food because it's not about me. Some of the girls love to put all the pictures of themselves and all that with the food and shit. No, I typically like to show y'all the food. But I wanted a proportional photo. And so my homegirl, Lauren, took this picture of me proportionally by this seafood tower. That was called the Royal Seafood Tower. It is $150. And it is the biggest seafood tower that they have at Pearl and Mary. Pearl and Mary is a seafood spot. I mean, they have other dishes. But it's about the seafood, y'all. You're not, like, I love it. For all of my folks that don't like, that my, my pescatarians, my Muslim eaters who really like to avoid pork, People don't like food on land and just only see only. This is the place for you. They have everything everywhere all at once. I'm just going to always use that phrase this year. I just, I love it. I love the movie. I love everything. The food is incredible. It was all seafood. So we did a seafood tower. Now that big ass seafood tower, we greedy. We treated it as an appetizer. We ate that as an appetizer. Then we went on and had the brazino. We had the red snapper, which was fried. We no, the red snapper wasn't fried. We had the cod. I think it was cod and chips, fish and chips. That was fried. We had the grilled branzino and we had the red snapper. All of that was good. And then we had great dessert. We had a 12-layer coconut cake slice. And then we had an apple lime pie, cream pie. That shit was incredible. All the cocktails was good. But let me be clear about those cocktails. If you are a person like me who like fruity cocktails, they don't really have some. They don't have like one fruity cocktail on their main cocktail list. Here's a pro tip about Pearl and Mary. They have non-alcoholic drinks. They call them temperance cocktails. My husband, Bartender Berry. They're called temperance cocktails. Temperance cocktails, for those who don't know, means cocktails that don't have any alcohol in it. Now, here's what you do. You get those, right? They're like, I think they're nine bucks, but some places they'd be like six bucks. And you tell them you want that with a shot or two shots of whatever your liquor choice is. Let me tell you something. They're the best chasers. Real G's know this. Go to a good bar and they don't have the, you know, some of these bars are really big on whiskey or stiff drinks. And if you're a whiskey stiff drink person, you're going to love the fuck out of Pearl and Mary because that's, they make those drinks for you. But if you like fruity cocktails like me, you love drinks and martini glasses. I have an obsession with cocktails and martini glasses and coupe glasses. I don't know why. I just like holding stems. I just love the sexiness of it. I love sipping on the rims. That's just me. I, it's just my fetish. That's just what I like. I really don't like highball glasses, especially when they fill them with ice. Cause like, what the fuck? You're not really getting a real drink there. I don't really like drinks with ice personally. Um, I like to have my drink served up straight, serve it up, you know, and a nice coupe glass, a martini glass. I need it grown. I need it sexy. I like a little garnish. That's what I like. That's me. That's my taste. Okay. 
So when I go to Del Frisco's Grill or Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse, I'm getting the VIP. That is me. That's the quintessential Ernest Owens cocktail is the VIP there, right? Other places got drinks that, that meet that criteria. But like, I like a good tart drink. I like a good fruit drink. I like a garnish. I'm very particular. Um, and so when I find places that do that and do it well, I'm in love. Um, but you know, listen, I do like other fun cocktails and other glasses, but I'm a little, I'm a little biased. So those are, those are great. So get temperance cocktails there, um, that are fruity and then remix them with alcohol. Just tell them what you want. Like they were great. I wanted blue coat. They had a really great drink that had like a ginger lemon vibe. I'm a blue coat gin lover, but they didn't have the original blue coat, but they had the blue coat in the barrel for folks who know what I'm talking about. I actually put that with the ginger honey. That drink was fabulous. I just made it. I just made a drink up there. So they'll let you remix. And those drinks still stay within the price range of a regular cocktail. So you're not like spending $20, $18 for those shots. Um, It typically moves up a little bit to like... 13, 12, 13 dollars. That, that, at least that's what it was when we were there. So it was a good time. It was a fabulous time. Great time to celebrate. I appreciate Lauren for taking me out. It is, that's the location. By the way, Pearl and Mary is in the neighborhood. Um, it is where that old pasta space was right there across the street from Elvez. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That little restaurant. If y'all in the neighborhood a lot, this is right next to, um, Sampan. Over there where Sandpan or Alpen Rose, it's like right next to Alpen Rose. It's on that corner and it's right across the street from Elvez. And then Van Luren, an ice cream place where the old Capajuri is, is right there. There was a other pasta place there. I forget what it was. It was forgettable as fuck, but it was there. Happy that's not there anymore because that place was just kind of lame, a little, a little corny, a little whack. Um, I wasn't really feeling the pasta there. Um, so this place, Pearl and Mary is a hit though. And a lot of black people are going there, which I'm happy about because black folks love seafood. Okay. We listen, we don't care where it's at. We love seafood and the crab legs, all that's great. I, I, I know, a, I know a place is good when black people are there. Um, they don't care the price. Seafood is just what we do. We love seafood. Okay. And the oysters. Oh my God. The oysters, top tier oysters all the way. I mean, I know Oyster House is like the place, but. You know, if Oyster House is getting a little too crowded, Pearl and Mary is right there, y'all. Just saying. Okay. Um, Royal Boucherie went there for brunch. Um, of course, Gio and I went there. We went there. Mr. Johnson, his husband, Mark. We went with a lovely woman named Marta, who's a really great foodie and food. She makes great. She's all across the country. She's based in San Antonio. She sense and sensibility. If you know who she is, she's a black food cook she does recipes she does all of this on the internet she makes great content we was out with her husband it was the six of us we had a great time at royal boucherie yes nick elmy doesn't own it anymore and he's not you know they have a new chef there but it's fabulous they also have great oysters they're right there um in old city for those who haven't been in a while cocktails were on fleek they got some really new drinks on the menu they also have temperance cocktails for those who don't partake in liquor um, great time. I went there for happy hour with the boys. We had a Lit Brothers happy hour last year, and that was fun. But I really did enjoy Royal Boucherie for brunch. They had a um croquette madame. But see, this let me tell you about this. Now, croquette madame, this is apparently a ham. You know, it's a French. It's a ham sandwich with with a with a runny egg, and and they have the sauce on and everything. So I call it a scram madame because I got the egg scramble because I don't like easy. I don't like runny egg 
Not that I'm judging people that like it. I mean, that's what you like. I mean, by all means. I like my eggs scrambled. Unless it's like a boiled egg. I don't mind a boiled egg. Um, a hard boiled egg. Um, but I don't like runny egg. Not crazy about it. Not against people that don't like it. I'm not, you know, but I just, I like it scrambled. I want it, I just want it scrambled. And so I, I call it the scramadam. <laughs> they laughed at me. Um, first world problems. But it was, it was a good sandwich. And um, the food was really good overall. Um, but I highly recommend it. So, yeah, that was everything. Um, I'll talk about the Oscar party when we get to that section. But in other big news, Trump might get indicted. Okay, Trump might finally get criminally charged. I am excited. Now, we've been hinting at this for several weeks on this podcast, several months, actually. But it's looking like something might go down. According to the New York Times this week, they said that the former president was told that he could appear before a Manhattan grand jury next week if he wishes to testify. A strong indication that an indictment could soon follow. Okay, prosecutors are signaling that criminal charges are likely. It's getting real. It's getting real, y'all. Alvin Bragg, okay? It's interesting, you know, because apparently they're saying, like, listen, prosecutors are all has offered Trump the chance to testify this week coming up before a grand jury. Okay, that has been hearing evidence. They've been hearing evidence about a potential case. And and it's a lot going on. This is what the sources are saying. They're saying that that these types of offers are almost always an indication that an indictment is close. You don't do this if there's no smoke. So District Attorney of Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, let me let you know right now, partner. Look, brother, we was mad at you last year because it looked like he was just going to throw this aside. But he's getting on there. He's focusing. Talk about redemption. Aren't we so happy we didn't cancel him yet? See, look, Alvin, look, brothers, listen, you know, this year looked like we we seeing an upswing because brothers weren't shit for a minute. We seeing some changes right now. I'm, I'm proud. I'm getting proud. But I don't want to get too excited. But they're saying in New York, potential defendants have the right to answer questions in the grand jury and this is before they're indicted. But they hardly testify. So let's be clear. Trump is expected not to talk and cooperate with the grand jury. Most of these people who are in situations like this that Trump is in, they oftentimes do not participate. So even though there could be an invitation for him to participate, we're not expecting him to. So let's be clear. This week, Trump might just say, fuck y'all, I'm not doing a damn thing. Which is likely to happen and this is not to be surprised. So sometimes I know the media will be like, Trump declined to talk to the, let's be very clear. Most of the time they don't want to, uh, you know, implicate themselves and their lawyers are probably like, you know what? They trying to figure it out. Let them throw the indictment charges, but don't you give them the rope to hang yourself. Let them even work even harder, which let's be clear. Mr. Bragg is definitely working harder and he might get it, but this will be, this will be the first indictment of a former American president in history. And this could ruin and unpin his race for president, okay? It's over, y'all. If he gets indicted, it's over. It's over. Ron DeSantis will be the Republican nominee for president in 2024. Yikes. I thought I'd never say this, y'all, but yikes. Because let me tell you, I would have had fun. Mm, Not really. I mean, not even pretend. But let's just say if I was, like, white and I really didn't have 
the world impending upon my life. Like I was a white cishet man that was making a, a, a million dollars a year. And literally, no matter what happens to the gays, women, and everyone else, I'd still be fine. If I was living in that in, the, in, in that person's shoes, this could have been fun, possibly, to watch Trump and Ron DeSantis duke it out and see them both get weakened as a result, which then might make it easier for whoever the Democratic nominee is, which right now is looking like Biden. Hmm. It would have been fun to see that fight. Now it's like, okay, Democrats, Ron DeSantis is coming, baby. It's happening. Like, I'm going to just call it out. Trump is in some shit. And the Republicans have agreed that they're going to let Trump fall. Okay? Trump's going. Marjorie Taylor Green, girl, you're not going to be the VP pick for Trump. That ain't happening. There's no ticket, baby. Go pack up. You're going home. It's not happening, right, for Trump. Trump is out. I think this is coming to an end. And the sad part is that by the time it do, will it be a big day? Yeah, it's going to be still a big fucking deal. Because many of us waited for this. But it feels anticlimactic now, to be honest. Because this should have happened while he was in pres- while he was president. But I can understand people feeling like, eh, well, it's hard to indict a sitting president. This is true. So I see all of that, y'all. But like now I'm just like, Trump just feels so, I don't know, a thing of the past. We have newer evils. And Trump's evil has definitely have left a stain within the Republican Party. And it's now he has disciples. And there's people that's going to carry out his shit for many years to come. So we have not officially, you know, ruined our welcome with Trump. It's, it's still upon us. Um, it's been manifested. It's been harvested. It's like a, you know, a replication of a virus. You know, when you see a, a, a virus replicate like B1 or B8 of, 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 the, of, of COVID, right? There's a new strand. There's the Delta variant. You know, Ron DeSantis is a Delta variant of Trump. So like original Trump was like bad. It was sickly. It, it killed people literally. But then you get you know, that one gets weakened, right? And so now the, the the original Trump strand has gotten really weak. It's still contagious, but weak. But now there's been other variants. So now we see Tom Cotton. That's a variant, right? You, you see, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, she's like that variant that kind of had a moment, but it's not really sticking. George Santos, he's a variant that's going to come out of Trump, the lion variant. You know, that one, you know, it's it's lingering, scary, but everyone's not getting it, you know. Kevin McCarthy, definitely a variant that's resistant, you know, has made it through. You know, it's hard to shake that motherfucker off. But Ron DeSantis is like the Delta variant of Trump, where that one right there, woo, you thought you had a vaccine. That's fucking up your vaccine. It's going through you, Okay. You know, that one right there is the one. So we 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 are not done with Trump, okay? We're still in the Trump pandemic, even if the original strand of Trump is starting to get weakened. And we're starting to take a vaccine, the Biden vaccine. But this Biden, this Biden vaccine is waning, y'all. Are we sure we want this vaccination for 2024? Do we not want another vaccination? Maybe the Biden vaccination is weakened. It was good for 2020. But is it good for 2024? <laughs> we got to see. 
I argue that if Biden fucks up and drops the ball on this student debt crisis situation, like if we don't, the Supreme Court ain't rocking with him and it fails, I think Biden might decide we might need to go consider a new vaccination. Maybe Biden isn't the one. Maybe maybe he's Johnson Johnson. Maybe he wasn't Moderna like we thought he was. And I don't want to go there yet. I was like, well, who is Pfizer? Come, let me be quiet. So we got to figure out what we're going to do. Um, it's a lot going on, but we still got time to figure it out. A little bit of time. But we need to just get real. that The Republicans are definitely getting behind DeSantis. Trump is going to be so done that no one's going to even care what Trump thinks of DeSantis. And honestly, anybody who's still rocking with Trump at this point is just a joke because it's just not happening. And let's let me also add that the tea about Fox News and these Fox News anchors, more is coming out about what they think about Trump. Like, like I don't know what, what Carl, what, listen, I need to, I want to go on Carson, Tuck, Carson Tucker time on my cancel culture book, but he's too busy getting heat because it's, it's coming out that he never really liked Trump. See, I told you about them Harvard grads. I told you about them Ivy League motherfuckers. They are smart. They play dumb. But they all this time knew Trump was not it. They never liked Trump. They were just getting paid the lie. And now Fox News' whole reputation is behind. Because even if, I don't know how this voter thing is going to go down between this this lawsuit with the voter machines and and all the Fox News. And Fox News' this big multi-billion dollar you know, lawsuit that's happening with them right now. I don't know how it's going to play out. But what I do know is that what we have found out in Discovery tells us that Fox News' reputation is in the dumpster now. I mean, it's always kind of been there for me, but I think across the board, no one can argue how detrimental and how flawed Fox is, even to their own supporters, because now their own supporters know that the people that host these shows do not agree with their views, that it's all a farce, that these people were smart, and they were, they, they did not... Fox News made these people nuts. You know, I found out some interesting tea recently that Kimberly Guilfoy, you know, the woman who is currently talking to Donald Trump Jr., who's like his fiance or something like that. She apparently used to be married to Gavin Newsom, who's the California governor, you know, who's a big Democrat, right? She is actually, she was married to him. And I looked at old pictures and they look so happy. They were a different type of couple. And it's just interesting now to see her on this side of the, the political aisle where she is this gun-ho crazy about Trumpism and things. And now she's a Fox News girl. You know, she's on Fox News all the time. But she's built this new thing. And I think Gavin, you know, her ex-husband, of course, was the governor. I guess he thinks that, you know, like, listen, this Fox News world done swept her up and ate her up. So there we go there. So we'll see how this all plays out, you know, but that Trump indictment is coming soon. Um, I'm just going to be watching like y'all stay tuned. So uh, local news, local things, because we got some things to talk about. Clearly, uh, lots of stuff is going on. Let me just start with, you know, this fellow that we've talked about on the podcast last year, definitely around this time. So this time last year. We were talking about State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta, who is the black gay state rep of PA. He's based in North Philadelphia, represent North Philadelphia. Now, around this time last year, we were talking about how he was running for U.S. Senate um, against, of course, Connor Lamb and John Fetterman. Now, you all know I told you that that wasn't going to happen. And guess what? It didn't happen. 
Um, he still stayed a state rep, but he was not in the U.S. Senate. Of course, John Fetterman's there, and he's taking time to get his, you know, to, to be on rehab. We're working on him. We're working, keeping him in our thoughts and prayers, and hoping that Fetterman has a speedy recovery. But his former opponent is now announcing that he is running for Auditor General. Now, we have seen this Auditor General situation. Now, let me give some background. The Auditor General, that's a boring-ass job, but it is an important state job. This person looks at the finances and funding of the city, I mean, the state, the commonwealth, regulates all of those things, advises higher-ups and administrators on budgeting and finances and all the different things. The Auditor General is a very studious role. It's nothing to be um, you know, to play with. And in Pennsylvania, our current Auditor General is a black man. His name is Timothy DeFleur. He is a Republican. And listen, let me tell you something about Timothy DeFleur. There ain't nothing to play with, you know, um, because the the important thing about that position and why I say that you can't play with that. Let me let me explain. So let me back up real quick. The Auditor General audits public funds in Pennsylvania, right? They report findings and recommendations to the General Assembly, which is the, you know, the government body and the governor. And this is important under the legislator because this person really does look into finances. They conduct independent audits with acceptable professional ethical standards. They they issue these in, in appropriate reports on the use of public resources. They basically see and make sure that anything that's involving our funds and our resources in the state is done right. They conduct audits. Now, let me back up real quick <clears throat> because I have to take a moment here. When is Malcolm Kenyatta in his natural life ever conducted an audit? What what finances has he done? Does he own a business? Um, you know, because I, I, I mean, has he ever been a treasurer of an organization? Um, has he ever had to actually legitimately manage funds and do these types of financial fiduciary responsibilities? Um, you know, I know I have, but you know, I ain't running for out of gym. That's not my job. Um, but I'm just curious what kind of actual experience, because it's one thing to talk about, you know, personalities and beliefs and things. That's great. But personalities and beliefs don't actually shape what these job descriptions do. You know, I just feel like you know, if we're going to run against people, right, and we're going to tackle certain roles and we want to be qualified for these roles, you know, Timothy DeFleur was the controller of Dauphin County. He served as a controller before he took on his position. I mean, the guy has done this work before. Um, you know, he was the first black person to win a statewide executive office in Pennsylvania in 2020. That was before, you know, Austin Davis, you know, became lieutenant governor. So he's held this position in a historic fashion. I just want to put that out there. Like, I'm not saying I do I endorse Republicans. No, but I'm just saying this man has experience. And honestly, from what I've known of him and what I've heard about him in Harrisburg, Democratic colleagues do not find him to be a threat. They don't find him to be a Trumper. They don't find him to be threatening whatsoever. He's 61 years old. Um, You know, seems like a decent guy based on what I've looked at. I haven't really heard anything 
controversial about him. Um, he comes to Democratic events for certain candidates. Um, he seems to be willing to work with people across the aisle. Um, he has a history in conducting audits, serving as the controller of Dauphin County. I just don't know how Malcolm Kiyata feels like he should go against this guy. I mean, to be honest, it just looks like Malcolm is just looking for the lowest hanging fruit. But the lowest hanging fruit should not be an actual serious position that involves the city's finances. I mean, the state's finances and, and obligations. And I just feel like, once again, biting off more he can chew. Um, it's disappointing, but I get it, right? You know, he tried to push this documentary about himself that hasn't really gotten much traffic in Philadelphia or really around the country. Um, didn't really, it hasn't picked up the momentum that he thought it was going to pick up. This announcement of Otter General hasn't really picked up that much momentum, actually, so far. I mean, it's not, it's, and there's a reason why. Because we are in the middle of a fucking crowded mayoral race. Who the fuck announces that they're running for a statewide seat in their city? Asking for funding and support in the middle of a mayoral race and a city council race, let me add, where literally everyone is literally focused on that. I don't know who's on this team, but I'm here to tell the team, what the fuck? That's dumb. That's stupid. Why did you do it? Just pointless. But I'm willing to bet that it's his ego because it was his ego when he decided to run for Senate. And the thing about it is, like, how many races are you going to just jump on? To the point that it reminds me that this man still represents North Philadelphia, which is impacted by deep poverty and gun violence. If you don't want to be the state rep there because you're too busy having aspirations that are statewide and national, then please get the fuck out that seat and give it to somebody who's willing and able. There's a lot of people I know that are passionate and would love to go to Harrisburg and represent these parts of Philadelphia. There's a young man who's a black gay man um, that's in the Germantown area, named Andre Carroll. This guy worked his ass off, ran against a longtime Democratic incumbent that, quite frankly, don't deserve to be in that seat anymore. And he ran against this guy, almost beat him, was not not a bad first-time race, had great endorsements, and decided, you know, that he's not going to give up. Somebody like that wants to be a state rep. They care about it. They understand why they're there. This guy has been fortunate to get the seat. Didn't really earn it, let's be honest. People around him, you know, like working for Sharif Street, the state senator Sharif Street, who he backstabbed. You know, he has been given this opportunity on a silver spoon by the establishment at one point in time. All the Hillary love, all the Biden stuff. You know, he played the game to get into these spaces. And then now he just wants to just aim higher and aim higher and nothing's sticking. Nothing's happening. It's not sticking over there. And now I just feel like it just seems like he just wants to run this. He just wants to just keep throwing, throwing, throwing a noodle up on the fridge, hoping it sticks. And, you know, listen, I'm not one to hide behind closed doors and talk my shit. I, I, I say how I feel out openly. And I want to also use this opportunity because this has been brought up over the past couple of weeks. And I'm really tired of people talking shit because I name names. Let me be clear. I've always named names on this show and just in what I do. So, so, so let me address something that I had heard. So there's a guy named John Brady, some young Dems dude. I don't really talk to this dude. He did something really fucked up and I believe was racially insensitive 
Um, there was a situation that involved uh, a, a person I know, an activist in Philadelphia community who, you know, was running a campaign for then Sherry Cohen in 2019. Um, this person um, felt like the woman who was running for office at that time, there was a woman who was running for city council at large. He basically said, you know, this woman is claiming she's Latinx, but she believes she's white. And there's a lot of information that would suggest that there's something that suggests that this individual in question is not identifying the way to which she says she is racially. So they called it out at an event that she was speaking at. People viewed it as him heckling, uh, them help, them heckling her. They used they, them pronouns that, that they felt that they were heckling them. And at the end of the day, this dispute went on and this person no longer was on the campaign of this other person, Sherry Cohen, Sherry Cohen's campaign. So this activist, you know, has thus lived on with their life. At the time, John Brady had posted on Facebook a post that said that this person should be hosed down, referencing to the activist, that they should be hosed down. There were many people that jumped in and said that was out of line, like hosed down, like water hosed down. Like who says that? This person is black. This is a dark-skinned black Philadelphian. Why would you say they should be hosed? Like who refers to a human being being hosed? So I thought that shit was racist and I called them out on social media. They blocked me because that's what the fuck they do. They saw me one time. There was a protest a couple years ago when iCandy was using N-word and they walked their ass into iCandy when the community was out there talking about how this place was calling people the N-word. This person, John Brady, went into iCandy. So I got some thoughts about this individual. You call yourself a Democrat, progressive, you know, all these types of things. But these are the type of things that you do. So when people look at you funny and when people say these things, we we, we match them with the things that you have said and the things that you have done. But let me be very clear to people like John Brady and even people like Bob Brady, whoever they are. Keep my name out your mouth. Because I don't speak on you. I don't really, I don't discuss you unless something comes back about me. So this person had told um, Ken is running that there's this page called Philly Blast. And let me be very clear. I have nothing to do with that page. And I'm going to get into why I have nothing to do with that page. Look, I don't know who's running the page. I have no connections to the page. It is what it is. Some of the information they're putting on that damn page. I went this week. I was like, oh, my goodness. Some of that stuff is questionable. A lot of the framing is a little interesting and disturbing. Um, some of it's problematic. Um, I, I don't know if it's one person on that page or multiple people. Um, apparently, they're fans of me, which is why people thought it was me or con I was connected to it. Yeah, I don't know who it is. Um, I mean... They like my book. You got good taste in my book. But like, what you doing? So whoever it is or whomever the group is running that page, let me just say this. If you're a fan of me, you support me. First of all, let me just say this. Don't put typos on your tweets. You know, spell check your stuff, okay? Just spell, spell check your stuff. Also, you know... Be mindful about the insensitivity about how you're saying things about black women. You know, some of the, the, the language and the framing is, is definitely rooted in some misogyny noir. 
You may not know what that means, whoever you are, but I would just say some of that language and some of the way you're framing stuff. Look, you can say you don't like a person without doing it like that. There's just other ways. Um, also, verify some of the information you're putting up about certain races and candidates. Because as somebody who gets tea and get information, some of that stuff they're putting out there, I'm like, I don't, I didn't hear that. Certain signature position challenges, certain information. It's just like some of that stuff is a little like, is this true? This isn't true. This isn't verified. Like, if you're going to do this, I get it, right? But you got to be, you know, you got to cite sources or point to a direction. Just throwing it out there on the internet is just, eh. so, you know, but maybe they're having fun. Maybe they're just a troll account. I don't know what they are. But here's the thing that I will say. So from what I gathered was that this this John Brady dude, who I don't know if he's related to Bob Brady. I don't think they're related. Bob Brady's over the Democratic City Committee. I don't think they're related. Um, I don't think they're, this person's related to the other Brady, Christine Brady or Christy Brady, who's running for a controller. I think they just all got the same last name, I guess. Um, but he ran around telling people that he thought I was one of the people who created this page. He said, my name he said Will Mega, and he said Melissa Robbins. Now, Will Mega, I doubt, is doing that page. I don't talk to Melissa Robbins. I haven't spoken to this woman in years, actually. So I don't know what she's doing, what she's not doing. But it don't seem like she would because they're dragging her and dragging other people in there. So I don't think that's right. But it's interesting that my name was put in the conversation. So let me tell you what I can say about myself. Since people want to, you know, name drop me. Because see, this is what I do. I, I go back and find out you're talking shit and there's a problem. So let me tell you what I do. I've been in the game for 10 years. Okay? I've been talking my shit for a decade. And you know how you know I've been talking my shit for a decade? Because everything that Ernest Owen says, Ernest wrote it. Ernest put his name on it. Ernest owns his shit. And Ernest gets paid for his shit. And Ernest gets the name on the bylaw, byline, and he gets his name on the recording and the credits. He gets his name there and he gets his name on the check and he cashes the check for talking his shit with his name on it. So I'm talking about this in a way to say that anything I have to say, I don't have to hide behind some, you know, anonymous account. That's too much work. And if it's not paid, what's the point? Everything I fucking do got my name on it. The earnest opinion. Earnestly speaking. We running ads, baby. We, we going we gonna to get a check. I'm not saying that the person who's running that account is a coward. But what I will say is that that person, whoever that person is, is in a position where they don't feel like they can be free to express their ideas without some type of retaliation. I, on the other hand, am a free bitch. I can say what I want, how I want, and get paid for it. I don't need to hide behind a fake Twitter page and Twitter account. So I'm actually disgusted and insulted that a dumbass like John Brady would think that they could be a dumbass to use my name in their mouth and say this shit. Because when you see me at these events, you go the other way. You acting like a Karen. You scared. Oh, you scared of black people. Oh, you, you, you getting scared when you see me. You act like you don't see me. That's how the fuck you should be. But see, if you're going to be like that, keep that same energy and don't sit up here and lie on black journalists and slander black people. Don't talk about Will Mega. 
Don't talk about Melissa Robbins. I may not agree with everything them individuals do, but stop lying on black people because that's fucking racist. And you clearly have a problem with black people if you're going to sit up here and talk about hoes and people. We got those receipts. You're going to go to eye candy when the man said the N-word and was calling people niggers because that's what Daryl DePiano said. You was going to eye candy. Who there? We have those receipts. Don't fuck with me. And stop lying. And so I'm very clear that this is the last time I'm going to discuss this, but I'm going to discuss it here on this podcast. And I want people to run back and say something because clearly I have no problem putting my name on it. But what I want to be very clear about is I don't have no reason to be on any anonymous Twitter page or account trolling people. See, what y'all, the reason why you wouldn't even think people like myself and others, because we've been so public, we're going to stay public. We don't have to hide behind any accounts. So, so if you don't know who it is, just say that. But let me tell you who I think it is. <laughs> I think it's somebody that's amongst that circle. I think it's a disgruntled Democratic person, maybe a committee person or a ward leader. But whoever that person is, is somebody that's deeply connected to the Democratic Party. They're connected to the party. They know where the bodies are buried. They know the tea. They have opinions. And they're connected. And they're the ones, I think, that's driving up this traffic. Look, here's my thing about it. That's why you do right by people. Because when you do right by people, Democratic Party, Democratic City Committee, you don't have to have people wreaking havoc in the middle of your goddamn primary. Whoever this person is has an issue with the way that the current party is being. Now, maybe some of the antics and things they're doing may not be in the best light, but you know what? I, I dig deeper to say that whomever this person is or people or group, because they said they have an editorial board apparently, interesting. Whoever that is or whatever that is, they're probably someone that's mad at the system. And it doesn't justify what they're doing, but it's just to say that this is what happens when you have a dysfunctional family. And so the Democratic Party in Philadelphia is dysfunctional as fuck. And I just wanted to put that there. Moving along. <laughs> Moving along. Um, petitions. Petitions were due last week. There's all kind of chatter about who's challenging who on petition signatures. I haven't been following the drama that closely because honestly, I'm at the part where I'm ready to talk about the candidates. You know, I'm ready to talk about the actual race in front of us. I'm ready to talk about who's on the ballot and let's go. But right now we're in this weird phase where people are challenging petitions and yada, yada, yada. Now for mayor, there's some candidates who didn't make it on the ballot in city council. Um, there's a Republican, I believe, named James Whitehead. Um, he didn't make it. Um, some other people that I haven't heard of didn't make it. I'm, I'm waiting to see the final results. Um, mayor, it looks like it's going to be 12 people running for mayor. Eight viable candidates, and this is my opinion on the eight viable candidates. Then there is James DeLeon, Warren Bloom, this white man who's a former cop, and this black woman that no one's heard of. It's 12 people running for mayor, y'all. But in my opinion, with all due respect, there's only eight viable candidates I'll be discussing on this podcast up until election unless anything changes. The eight candidates that I'm specifically talking about is Helen Gim, 
Rebecca Reinhardt, Sherelle Parker, Maria Canella Sanchez, Derek Green, Alan Dom, Jeff Brown, Amon Brown. Those are the eight candidates that I'm focused on in this upcoming primary. Everybody else, I'm not worried about in the mayor's race. Those are only eight candidates I'll be discussing on this podcast until more of them drop out. But Warren Bloom, James Leon, sorry, child. The other two candidates, y'all came in late. Viable to me means candidates that have had name recognition, candidates that have been showing up in polls and data, like actually people are naming them in the polls and showing up in polls and data, and also candidates that have actually filed campaign finance reports. Like, where the hell is y'all campaign finance reports, some of y'all? Where is y'all data? Like, I don't see anything. So, you know, it's a lot of factors, but the eight to me are eight viable candidates. That's a lot of damn people anyway. So there's eight viable candidates. That's what we're looking at right now. Um, I got a piece coming out of Philly Mag this week. Honestly, with these eight candidates in the race, we need to see a fight. Not a physical fight. Calm down, white people. I'm talking about debate. I need to see people, you know, I need some mudslinging. It's too many people in this race, and I just feel like if we don't get folks really standing out on platforms and issues, we're going to see a populist type of candidate win. I mean, it may be too early for me to say what I really think. I'm going to take my time on that because I want to speak out of turn. It's a little too early for me to speak out of turn about what I really think right now. Because there's some stuff that keeps changing, endorsements and support. I don't know where to put my finger on it. But what I feel right now is that by the look of this race and how it's shaping right now, if there is not enough real debate and discourse around these candidates, we're going to see a populist type of candidate win, right? One that's just bold enough to swallow up a lot of general issues. Um, and I can see identity politics helping along that. And I can see that person winning it all with a small majority, a small one, because they don't need to, you know, there, there's no runoffs in Philadelphia. There is no uh, rank and file, rank, you know, voting. There's none of that in Philadelphia. You get one vote one time in the primary. And if you whoever got the majority of that group wins. So we can ask somebody with 15% of the fucking vote and they could win this crowded race. 15%. That's all they might need in a crowded race like this. You know, they, they may not need a really serious amount, a quarter or, or a third. They may not meet that much with all these candidates. I thought folks would drop out by then. But because so many of these candidates have raised money... They have enough money to stay in the race, but they don't have enough money to necessarily win. It's weird, but that's politics. And we're in this final leg of the race where, okay, fundraising is what it's going to be. You know, endorsements are going to be what they want to be. Now it's time for these candidates to hit the ground and engage voters. And I just really hope people start really coming guns ablazing. Apparently, Cheryl Parker putting is putting out ads around 55000 or something like that, roughly, amount. That's not a lot of money um, for ads. I don't know where those ads are going to be. Are they going to be on YouTube? Are they going to be on TV? What time? Because I don't know what that... That's a small amount of money put in ads. I mean, she needs to put some serious money on ads if she's really going to do it. Because otherwise, you're just wasting money. She might as well put out more flags, uh, more more um, door door signs or something with that money. But that's what I've been hearing over there. So I want to discuss this, and it is one of the, the, the headlines of this, is the curious case of your fave trash man. 
I, I've been, I talked a little bit about your fave trash man when he announced he was running for city council at large a couple of months ago. He had a profile in Philly Mag. There was some other articles and some buzz. When he came out the race super early swinging, you know, I get what he was doing. He was trying to get some name recognition, get some buzz. His real name is Terrell Hagler, Hagler. Um, but I'm so used to calling him your fave trash man that that's what I'm going to call him for this episode. But his name is Terrell. He's a black guy. He's a father. You know, it's a lot of things going on with him um, right now. And initially when I was going to talk about this, I came from a place of strong um, condemnation. I was really upset about the stories, the things I was hearing. And I really was like, you know, ooh, you know, Ernest, you got to go in. You got to go in on him. But I feel bad for the guy, to be honest. Now, there are some things that I'm a little like, mm-mm-mm, that wasn't right. But overall, I feel like there is not, this is not a gotcha criminal type of thing with this guy. And I think it's important in media, right, that context matters. And sometimes, you know, you have white reporters that oftentimes do stories. And I'm not naming particular names in this situation. I'm just stating what I see a pattern of where they are so addicted to this type of gotcha, boom, bang, adrenaline rush. And often they love doing it to black people. Sometimes the action works and it makes sense to do that right so like yeah if you are out here exposing someone like you know sheriff rochelle Bilal, who is out here just fucking up in the sheriff's office and just doing some stupid things with the public's money yeah that's a that's a story but it's another thing to see a person who was working class who came into this political arena with no experience no actual education about any of the things they were doing that are making dumb decisions that are rooted in desperation and and clearly poverty where you almost get a sense of empathy once you recognize how it's being framed to the public. And so when I read this story in the Philadelphia Inquirer, I I was I just felt like it was a, it was it was just aggressive. It was aggressive. I felt like it was done in this way that didn't, didn't lack empathy. It also lacked context. And it, it also kind of created this ridiculous framing. And they've been doing this lately, the Inquirer, which just, as you all know, is not, you know, they're just not my favorite publication for various reasons. Because for all the smoke that they have for, like, black people in this community Where's the smoke in your newsroom with the lack of fucking diversity I have there? Like, how do y'all feel knowing that there's, like, no black political reporters, like, that are black men, that actually cover politics? Like, you have no black people that cover politics there that's not an opinion or editorial. But you want to sit up here, you want to talk about... Yeah, it's just interesting that the priorities of that publication is that while they're sitting around trying to be the paper record and talk about speaking truth to power and covering things and informing the public, their whole operations is sitting on a pile of shit and deflecting on their responsibilities and obligations to the community 
And they're just, you know, the pot kettle, kettle black. You know, they're like accountability and transparency. Well, where's the accountability and transparency to the community? Where's the accountability and transparency to affinity groups? Where's the accountability and transparency to all these different partners that, you know, you're claiming that you support their issues, but you actually don't engage them. You know, it'd be funny if like Max Mirren, you know, did a story on like the shit that's going on at the Inquirer. Like do a deep investigation in your own house. Just saying. Lord knows I've done it over in my house. Okay, I, I'm not no saint, but at the end of the day, I'm independent. But you know, people, maybe it's not his responsibility. Maybe he should call upon his newsroom to be better. Who knows? But everybody, is this interesting just the lack of context and the realities of it and hypocrisies of it all. But, you know, I read this story and it was it was hard to read because for starters, your fave trash man, Terrell Hagler, you know, let's be clear about this guy, right? This guy, you know, he mishandled campaign funds and they said he built staffers. They talk about how he wants to make things right. They talk about, you know, he's 33 years old. He's a millennial. You know, he owes his former campaign staffers, according to this story in Inquirer, he owes his campaign staffers a combined $14,000 for the work that they did in January. And they left in February. He acknowledged this, that he owed them this money. Um, but he also said that, you know, when it came time to pay them, he said he was short in the bank. And he, and he, quote, wanted to see if he could bring the money to pay them. And ultimately, he didn't raise enough. And he says he never not want to pay somebody. So he's very genuine about this. But they also add that he was paying himself. They said that his campaign spent, according to records they obtained, they said that he spent over $26,700 from September to February. Most of the money was seven, the $17,200 went directly to his personal bank account through nearly 200 cash app payments. Oh my God. So he's paying himself through cash app, which is not good. So he went on to say that he, he, he said, I didn't say I'm going to pay myself 2000 a month because he said, I didn't know what I was going to be fundraising and spending. I just knew that I had to stop everything that I was doing and be unemployed in order to run. I can't be homeless. I can't go hungry. I have three children to take care of. He said, I'm getting salad works or getting an Uber or paying my gas bill, which is like 250 so I can stay warm during the winter. That's what I was using it for to live. So he, he said this in context. He was saying that, you know, overall, he was basically using that money to be able to take care of himself. Now, he did it in ways that, according to campaign finance policy, that was not the best practices. But let me back up a little bit about this guy. He, you know, blew up during a pandemic. You, if you know him, he's got thousands of files on Instagram. He, you know, became this big guy with a populist appeal. Um, you know, he had a lot of people that was into him because he was all about sanitation. He was advocating for sanitation workers. And this was during the pandemic. He got a nonprofit called Trash to Treasure. He was doing community cleanups. He was getting some, some grants and some support to do that. He was crowd raising. He was selling books. He was doing all kind of little things to raise money and make a name for himself. But in September, he decides to run for city council um, trying to address quality of life issues. That was his big thing. But he quickly realized that he was over his head. He thought he was prepared, but he wasn't. And so here's the issue here. 
and he put a video out on his social media page talking about how he was in his campaign because this happened while he was collecting signatures. Now, initially, it appeared that he didn't have enough signatures to go on the ballot. But what we find out was that literally there were other issues. He could have got on the ballot, but he wanted to end his campaign not because he didn't have enough signatures, but because he literally did not have staff anymore because he wasn't paying his staff and he had some other issues. So even worse, because of all of this, he went to the press and talked about how he may have, you know, unintentionally violated campaign laws, which could lead to some serious problems. I mean, they're framing it in a way of some strong you know, corruption and some, some issues on this on this on this local level. Lots of problems. So here's what I'm gonna say to be clear. Where you know, hmm, hmm. Ooh, do I wanna go there today? I do wanna go there today. You know, it was interesting because when I first met your fave trash man as a candidate. One of the first people that he was accompanying himself with was a woman named Teresa Lundy, who is a communications political consultant of sorts. Um, you know, she works with some interesting people like Rochelle Bilal and, and some other folks. But he was accompanying her to events and he was saying that she was, a guess, I guess, connected to his campaign or his team. Which I thought was interesting because I just was trying to figure out, well, what could she do to help his campaign? Um, but, you know, she has a background in this work. So, you know, looking back then and looking at the things I'm seeing and hearing now, I don't know if they're still working together or communicating, but why would, who told him to talk to the press? Who told him to self-incriminate himself before the press? Where was his team to say, you know what, maybe you need to talk to a lawyer and you need to get off of, of the press, talking to the press. Like I, in a situation like that, this is why lawyers matter. This is what real consulting means. This is what advising looks like. Maybe he wasn't paying people. So when the money dried up, everybody left them. But where are your friends at, Terrell? Like, I mean, I didn't know this was going on. Terrell and I are not friends. I mean, we haven't hung out like that. I know of him. But I'm just trying to figure out who told him it was a good idea to talk to Max Marin, you know, this deep investigator of the inquiry. Like, who? What? What? Brother, if you would have talked to me, I, I, I would have just been like, what's going on? You know, but like, this is what I mean by like unnecessary damage, right? Why are you telling all this tea to these people? Listen, if the if the, the staffers went and gave this information to the inquirer, they should have then spoke to the reporter and they should have been the ones to speak if that's the nature of this situation. But why would you incriminate yourself? Because maybe there are things that you're saying that you may not even know you know, could be could be different, could be interpreted a different way. Maybe you have someone who's a lawyer that can actually look at these expenses. Maybe some of this stuff is justified. Maybe this stuff isn't the way that you're presenting it. But this story does too much. I feel like the reporter did a lot to interpret a lot of this for him. And I don't feel like Terrell is actually fully aware of how serious this is. And I just feel like Somebody from the ethics, the board of ethics will look at a story like this, launch an investigation, and it's going to be deeper. And a lot of what he's already been said is going to incriminate him maybe in a way that he may not have intended. But see, when you're a journalist and you're a reporter, you should carry the thoughts. I'm not saying you got to litigate people, 
But when we talk about minimizing harm, I just feel like, where's your lawyer? Where's your legal advisor? Like, why are we having these conversations with actual reporters on the record without considering that you might be actually incriminating yourself? And I don't know. Some reporters don't care because they don't have to care, right? But there's got to be a sense of, like, awareness that, like, this may not be. But again, this is why diversity in newsrooms matter. This is why media literacy matters. This is why communities need to be educated about what their rights are to the free press. This is why people need to think before they speak. This is why people, and listen, I'm not putting all this on the, on the publications. Everybody want to get their little grab, their little story. But Terrell, brother, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I read this. I was like, you really just let the chopper out. You really sat up here and you put all this information out here. So I saw people on the internet, yo, and they're already going in because that's what white people do. These white progressives, because I got to keep it 100, they then got hype, 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 hype. They got all this smoke calling him a convict, calling him a corrupt, calling him this, calling him that. I got thoughts about all of this stuff. I'm not actually thinking this man ain't accountable. But let me back up real quick. They, they're going in on him, talking trash, saying he should have did it this way, should have did it that way. He ain't this, he ain't that. He's a blah, blah, blah. I mean, people are ugly right now on the internet. And the thing is that, let's be clear, white progressives really propped him up. They were really big on gassing him up as this, 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 this person they like. You know, they, they, they love that. They love a certain type of black person. See, the white progressives, they don't really see it for me like that. Most of them. Because I'm too smart and I'm too articulate for them. And because I can see through their shit. So they don't like me. They like the kind of black people. They like the kind of black and brown people that are entertaining to them. That makes them laugh. That inspires them. And makes them feel good. They like docile. They like funny. They like safe. And so there's certain black people they're never going to like. They're never going to like smart black people like myself that do not cater to their insecurities. There's a certain type of black and brown person they like. They like the ones that are very meek, that are very funny, that are very lighthearted, that are very much the type of people that will never make them uncomfortable, never challenge them, never hold them accountable in ways that will put them, make them change who they are. They like people that's going to just feel good. They like the, the, the that kind of group, right? That funny box person. Speak a little too radical. Tell them that, hey, this isn't the way to do something. Be smarter than them in something. Know that you're smarter than them in something. And then they will completely, you know, be ready to, you know, be the most toxic people ever. Like, I've had experiences, whether it's with white Republicans or white Democrats, white liberals or or white conservatives or white far right or white far left. A lot of them are the same when it comes to how they deal with black excellence. They like it a certain type of way. Let me be clear. They like black excellence, but they like it a certain type of way. They're the type of folks that like Beyonce when it was Beyonce self-titled, when Beyonce was just, you know, Beyonce for every woman. They like run the world Beyonce. They don't like formation Beyonce. They don't like Beyonce wearing the Black Panther attire. They don't like Beyonce that's like, I made this album for black women. They don't like that Beyonce because that Beyonce makes them feel like 
that they're not cool enough to sit at the table with her, which they're not, but they don't like that, right? So they don't really like black people that self, you know, you know, motivated. <laughs> they like people that play into it. So, you know, your fave trash man was a hit with them because he was the nice guy. He was funny. He was charming. They liked those type of black people. He was progressive, of course. And so they liked him because he was easy. He was funny. And they felt like, you know, to me, I don't know if they were really laughing with him. I think they were laughing at him the whole time. Some of them might have cared about him. Some. But some of them was probably laughing at him a little. Found him a little funny and thought, well, why not? Right? And what's funny is, is that when he, you know, fucked up, then the real... You know, claws came out. How quick were they to dismiss him and throw him out? What's funny is, is that the energy they're giving him right now is never the energy they gave Helen Gimp. Nope, nope, nope. They did not. They did not ever speak on that situation with Union League. They, they, they did not come for him. There are some people I'm looking at right now, and I'm like, the stuff that you all have said about him you didn't come with that energy crickets on Helen Gimp or yeah you just did a little passive little thing like a little mistake right but y'all didn't come with that same energy for Helen Gimp which shows me the anti-blackness and the double standards which I always talk about that these people all worshipped him and put him on a pedestal until he made some tough decisions but see, this goes and, and it harkens back to my conversations I have in general about what happens to black progressive candidates in these movements. They prop these people up to run. They hold them to this strict purity test, which is impossible to, you know, for them, right? They put them in this situation where it's difficult for them to raise money. It's difficult for them to actually, you know, live. Because let's be clear, Helen Gim is rich. I'm going to repeat, Helen Gim is rich. Helen Gim's husband is rich. Helen Gim's husband, you know, worked as the deputy general, you know, representing that pharmaceutical company that just had to settle for millions upon millions of dollars for the opioid epidemic, you know. We're going to just act like we don't know about that. He left that position not too long ago to go back to the firm that he previously worked for. Did y'all know that? Oh, no, you didn't know that? They're rich. Rich. So she can afford to run. <coughs> she can afford to run. She could put $50,000 of her own money in her own campaign. Because she can afford it. She's rich. She runs for city council. She works for city council. But she's rich. And, you know, she's rich. And, 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 and it's okay to be rich, I suppose, right? But, but let's be clear. With that kind of money comes power. And so the type of white progressives in these gentrifying communities to which she, you know, networks with, she knows how to fit in 
She knows how to get their support. And she makes sure that she probably cuts checks and donates to their causes and, you know, sends her wishes and her influence there. And so she's going to always be good with them. Helen Gim can do whatever the fuck she wants in those circles. And those people will rock with her because she just proved it. She just proved that she could walk her ass inside the Union League. Even when Ron DeSantis was there, even when people had already established that that place has a racist history and that black folks specifically said they would not patronize there. And she, you know, act like she was in solidarity. She crossed that picket line and took herself right up those steps and went in there. After getting the Working Families Party endorsement on the same day. And, and crickets. The, the media, uh, they cover it with a little, huh. You know, I wrote a piece, clearly. But they just kind of threw it in the cloud section. Wasn't big news. Wasn't, wasn't the big news story. Nobody really investigated, got in her ass about exactly why was she there. Like, no interrogation. It was just like a little story here. They let her get away with whatever she wants to get away with. There are tons of stories. There's tons of things that can be deep dived. I've written about it. I've asked the questions. Okay, I do it. But my colleagues in this industry, right, that have these resources that that can do these deeper investigations, they don't do it. They'll do it on black people all day, every day. And let me be clear, some of those black people deserve those investigations. But it's interesting that I don't see it with people like Helen Gim, who hold so much influence and power. You know, the Johnny Doc stuff, you know, people tiptoed on when they wanted to cover when they didn't want to touch it. They are very funny about some of these white elected officials. It is not the same level of scrutiny. There's a double standard. And the problem is, is that when you do these types of double standards, then people who really do bad things weaponize those double standards to distract the public from the real conversations. But that's what they fucking get, right? These publications that Rochelle Bilal, right? There was some real serious reporting on Rochelle Bilal, necessary reporting about how she was using, you know, the public's money for chicken peats for $6,000 and other dumb expenses and things, right? Hiring people, moonlighting as attorney. You know, those are really good. That's really good at reporting, right? Problem is, is that because the Inquirer and these other outlets, some of these outlets have bad relations with the community, they can't even read that shit because other shit like what happened to your fave trash man gets exploited. And the problem that I'm seeing right now in media, and this is not even just a local issue, this is a national issue, is that people are putting things in the same bucket and holding it with the same weight. And so there's a there's a fucked up conflation that we're witnessing right now in media. And it's been around forever. But let me just say like, okay, an elected official fucking up money is a different conversation than a First-time candidate with no political experience fucking up $20,000. Priorities, people. Priorities. Let me, let me say this about Sorrell. Sorrell, 
what happened was messed up. Talk to a lawyer. Call Michael Cord. Call somebody who will work with you pro bono. If you know him, tell him, y'all, get him a lawyer. Someone pro bono. Stop talking by yourself to the press. Unless you want to talk to me. I mean, we can talk. But if I was you, I would get a lawyer fast. Sit down. Tell your lawyer the whole story. Don't talk to the press without your lawyer with you. And that's it. Don't get on this social media. Don't post all this stuff. Don't incriminate yourself. I'm talking as a responsible person. I'm talking as somebody who don't like the way this is being done because I think this is exploitative. And I think it's mean. And I think that is irresponsible. So that's what I would tell you. And if you know him, tell him that. Say, yo, get off of social media right now. Go get you a lawyer. Find a pro bono lawyer. Get him some legal assistance. Like, because I I, I think this can be resolved in a way. And there's some people that said they will, they will raise money for him um, to help him with some of this. Because the truth of the matter is that this is not a situation. Because, I mean, let's be clear. There have been cans in the past that have used money for things that has been questionable. But this is not a situation where this, you know, this man did this on some conspiracy type shit, some grifting type shit. I don't believe that was his intention. I think he wanted to run because he felt like he had a calling, which we'll get to in a minute. And I feel like he did this because he really wanted to make a difference. And we live in a city, and I keep saying this, that we live in a city that tell black men and women that are promising figures to run for office. What happened to Terrell should be a textbook example to all of us that we all do not have to run for office to make a difference, that we all can do different things with our careers because what happened to him didn't even have to happen to him. And this is why we got to stop telling people to run for office. Everybody can't run for office. Everybody shouldn't run for office. Some people should just go out and be community, you know, leaders, authors, Teachers, educators, doctors, civil servants, civil engineers. Like, we could be a lot of different things, and it doesn't have to be elected officials, right? Like, Malcolm Kenyatta, just be a, I don't know, just be a socialite. I don't know, be be a community organizer slash socialite. Go live your best life without having to be in someone's office. Like, let somebody who really wants to serve an office serve an office. Go be that. And I bet you if he was a community organizer type of dude slash socialite, we wouldn't be so annoyed with him. But because our taxpayers' dollars is paying for his salary and he's not doing shit really over in North Philly, then we're pissed off. Wouldn't be pissed off if you just said, you know what, I'm just going to go out here and be a D-Ray McKesson. Now, D-Ray McKesson is annoying as fuck. But, like, if you want to go out and be a D-Ray McKesson, that's fine. Because you will choose to, if you want to fuck with him or not. This guy is elected in office. Like, so I'm just saying with people, some of y'all who are in office, some of y'all who are running for office, I can't vote for you. Like, I'm going to have to name some names. Donovan Tate, I'm not voting for you. I'm sorry, Donovan Tate. Oops. Donovan West. Florian Slip, not Donovan Tate. I don't even know who that is. Donovan West, who's running. I'm not voting for Donovan West. He's a joke. 
He's a joke. He's a joke running for office. I'm sorry. You're a joke. I can't vote for you for office. You're not serious. Keep your real job. Do right by people, like the African-American Chamber of Commerce. Not going to go there, but just saying, do right by people, okay? But I can't support you. Not going to. Not voting for you. And people shouldn't vote for you. Like, go do other things. Be an entrepreneur. But don't waste your time in politics. This is a serious situation. Our city's in crisis, and, and, you're, and you're just out here making, you know, ego, self-pretentious videos of yourself flexing. Go get a girlfriend. Go do something. But, like, don't, don't. Don't waste your time running for office. Um, who else has run for office that shouldn't run for office? I can't keep up. Melissa Robbins. Why is Melissa Robbins running for office? You know, with all due respect, I think Melissa Robbins care about issues, right? And care about people. But I don't think elected office is it. I just feel like career politician behavior, like running for office just to run. Give her a real job. I know her cousin. Her cousin's tried to give her jobs. Give her a full-time job with a good pay, good benefits, y'all. Put her somewhere where she can be productive. But this is not it. This is, she's not ready. It's just, it's not showing. There's other, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just not looking. The platform isn't platforming for me. Um, Other people running? I can't even keep up. Who is on the ballot still? I've seen a couple of people running. There's a lot of people that's running that I think are running just for reasons that just, you know, look, they want a job. They want visibility. There is other ways to get visibility and get paid without and make a difference while being elected. That's the moral of the story. Because for your fave trash man, what he was doing was already making a great impact. He did not need to be in elected office and get caught up in this messiness of politics. We see this happen year in and year out where there's this glowing star and then things fall apart. Remember Asa Khalif? I guess he's still out here. Remember they tried to run him for city council? People was hype about him last election cycle. Like every election cycle, there's always like this black community organizer, activist type that they prop up and then they bring them up high and then they fall short. It gets tired. It's always that way, I feel like. Each election cycle, I feel like it's always that person and they lose and they kind of fall into obscurity. And I hate that that's happening to Terrell. I'm happy that that's happening. I hate that that's happening to him. But that's just the nature of politics. So we just got to do better. My thoughts on that. Um, listen, I don't have much to say about this section. But this Silicon Valley bank situation that's happening. Mm-mm-mm. Again, I don't want to dive too deep into it, but I definitely have heard some things about this Silicon Valley situation. It has collapsed. Um, the U.S. officials are moving to protect people's deposits because people are trying to chase their money. Rich people are trying to chase their money. Um, let me just be clear. Um, Janet Yenon has already ruled, okay, that they're not bailing out Silicon Valley Bank. She said... Um, on CBS News, she said, we're not going to do that again. Um, but to be clear, this this Silicon Valley bank collapse is going to boost Chinese stocks by slowing U.S. rate rises. That's what is on brokerage. It's getting real over here. OK, it's it's starting. To, it's, it's scary because it's threatening climate startups. So a lot of startups that were trying to, you know, happen during this time around climate change. It's going to hit them hard, apparently. A lot of different companies are impacted by this. So, you know, just stay woke. Biden is saying he's going to hold 
people responsible for this. You know, he's definitely serious about that. He said it on Sunday that, you know, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, who is Janet Yenon, for those who don't know already, you know, they are going to ensure that households and businesses affected, you know, could access their deposits. And it's going to hold these people accountable. It's getting real over there. That You know, there's a, there's some bipartisan group of lawmakers who are trying to come together and figure out, you know, what they can do. Um, but it's a lot. It's a lot of situations. Um, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, you know, said they solicited bids over the weekend from other banks to potentially purchase Silicon Valley Bank. We're going to see where that's going. But... Yeah, it's it's a lot. So for people that don't know what happened, they collapsed on Friday morning. Last Friday morning, you know, because it's a new week. But they they collapsed forty. It was it was a stunning forty hours where people saw a bank run in a capital crisis that led to the second largest failure of a financial institution in U.S. history. Now you remember the last time we had a big moment like that was during. You know, when the banks fail, this is the, this is the second largest failure. So this is, you know, the first, of course, is when the banks fucked up in 08, you know, when all the, the bailouts happened and all that crap. And Obama had the, you know, when Obama and, 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 and what was it? Obama and McCain were both running and this happened in the middle of their situation. Well, you know, this, of course, this chaos has now created high interest rates. Um, a lot of this stuff has happened. Apparently, depositors yanked $42 billion out of the Silicon Valley um, Bank. And they provided financing for almost half of the U.S. venture-backed technology healthcare companies. Which is wild. Because at the end of last year, they had put in $151.5 billion in uninsured deposits. And $136 billion which was already held by U.S. depositors. So this is this is crazy. This is fatal. Um, there's a lot going on on it. All I want to say is, you know, people be out here with this venture capital, all this stuff. Be smart. You know, sometimes it's just cute to keep you some gold under the bed and keep you some cash on you. Everybody be out here trying to be all on the financial banks and the, the stock stuff. Listen, do all that. But you see, this is the moment where LLC Twitter... Stock Twitter, you know, all that. I didn't buy my girl dinner. I bought her stock. This is one of the moments where they get quiet. Because this type of shit, listen, scammery happens no matter big or small, short or tall. It happens. Personally, not that my financial advisor, let me be clear, full disclaimer, Ernest Owens, myself, is not a financial advisor whatsoever. The following information I'm going to give you has not been certified or verified by any financial institution. Please, by all means, consider this to be just simple commentary and opinion stated by which myself and not represented by any other group. Okay, personally, what I do is I put some money in some places, a little bit of money, but I'm very big on preserving things, putting money in collectible things, things of value and assets. It could be art. It could be collectibles. It could be jewelry. It could be different things, different things that can have liquid, liquid, you know, value. Then, of course, I put some money in different bank accounts and savings and different things like that. Then I, of course, carry me some cash, keep some cash. Then, of course, you know, a little gold, a little silver, you know, a little couple of things, you know, just, you know, whatever. I have a variety of different things. 
of value and stretch it and spread it. But don't put everything in one basket because then shit like this happens and you lose everything. So just going to put that out there. Um, now to some other things. There is this um, thing that's been lately happening and the tea has been hot. The tea, the tea has been hot. Um, Mm mm mm. Oh. Mm. So there's been a lot of of tea. I want to to share this information um, because I want to talk about this restaurant I heard about in Maryland, and some of y'all probably know what I'm talking about. But I wanted to share this because I saw this menu and I had some thoughts, and I want to bring some of this tea. So there is a restaurant called The Real Milk and Honey. Now, I want to find out where it is exactly um, located. It is in College Park, Georgia, but there's also one in Maryland at Camp Springs, Maryland. So they have it at multiple locations, one in College Park, which is, I guess, in Atlanta, and then one in Camp Springs, Maryland. So this is, and they also have one apparently in Snellville, Georgia. So they're big in Georgia and they have one in Maryland. So let me tell you about this restaurant sign that I saw. I wanted to confirm it was real. People said it is real. These are the house rules. It's 10 of them. And we're going to drag them to filth together. House rules. We guarantee great food. Everything else is left to chance. We try our hardest, though. We really do. Mm. Two. We do not provide individual checks. However, we will allow up to three forms of payment. Mm. Three, 18% gratuity added to parties of five or more or checks larger than $75. Mm. Four, no modifications to any of the menu items. If you have a food allergy, please choose another item Without the allergen. Hmm. Five. Be nice. (laughs) Six. No reservations. Unless you're Barack Obama. Hey, there's exceptions to every rule. Seven. No table hibernation. 90 minute max. Others have to eat too. Eight. If we prepare your selected item to our menu specifications, we will not remove the item from your bill. Our entrees are not, quote, samples. Thanks. Nine. No large, no parties larger than nine, larger than four. No parties larger than four on days that end in Y. Corny. We're a small place, and when we get busy, large groups are hard to accommodate. We do not push tables together. Ten, we have no waiting area inside. Keep in mind, if on the wait list, you can receive a text message when your table's ready. Naps in your car are fine. And then lastly, remember, this is supposed to be fun. 
Okay, first of all, let me back up on this. This is the stupidest list of house rules ever. Honestly, anytime a restaurant has rules like this, this tells me a lot about management, the type of people that they have going there, and the type of people that run that restaurant. This is a hell fucking no for me. I would never go to this restaurant. And when I see restaurants create rules like this, in this type of way, they think that they're being like very specific, but they're really being paternalistic, condescending, disrespectful, rude, and just bad management. Honestly, if you're going to have all these rules like this, you shouldn't even own a restaurant. And some of this stuff just seems arbitrary. And it just sounds like you don't actually have a a structure in place to really actually take care of your staff or run the management of this restaurant. The venue seems like it's too small. It seems like there's a lot of mismanagement. It seems like they don't really know how to provide for their customers or give a fuck about their customers. So let me talk about some of these contradictions, right? So number three says 18% gratuity added to parties of five or more. But then they go back at nine and say no parties larger than four on days that end in Y. Well, let's first of all, all all days end with the letter Y. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Everything ends with a Y. So that's just fucking corny. You just said every day. Second of all, you just said no parties larger than four. Then why do you at number three say 80% gratuity adds to parties of five or more? Well, you can't have a party that you just said larger than four. Because you can't accommodate because you got a small space. But if you're going to make rules, make the rules make sense. You might as well just should have said that gratuity is added to checks larger than three. So then the crazy part was they say we do not provide individual checks, but they will allow up to three forms of payment. Well, when you have parties that size that small, I mean, okay, I guess. Um, Y'all don't have reservations, but you say your place is small. Okay. Um... I get that you're having a 90-minute max for table hibernations. I suppose that makes sense, I guess. Um, I'm sitting here talking. So there's another part that's weird. Number four says no modifications on any of the menu items. But then they said at number eight, if we prepare your selected item to our menu specifications, we will not remove the item from your bill. What? Okay. That doesn't make any sense. So there's just a lot of contradictions here. People are, are are saying that the laugh was they said the jury is still out on whether the service in the kitchen will meet that 90 minute requirement. If they don't, sucks to be you. Which is like, well, what if the rest anyway? But people in my comments said this long list of rigid rules in an unaccommodating tone towards those with food allergies or other restrictions. Followed by, quote, this is supposed to be fun. None of this is fun. And it sounds so unappealing. And it just looks like this is a big-ass joke. But, you know, this is what happens, right? This is what I try to tell people. Woo! And if it's Black-owned, which I hope it's not, but it sounds like it is. See, y'all, why we gotta be the, why we gotta do this to each other? A hot mess. So, and wrapping up before I get to everything... Oscars. I can finally talk about the Oscars now. Oh my goodness. First of all, let me just say this. The Oscars this year start, you know, I was I was gut I was gut punched, but in the end they made it work. The Oscars made it work this year. So overall thoughts about the Oscars, I will give it a I'll give it an 8 out of 10. It was better than last year, even though last year was messy as fuck. But I thought it was good this year. I thought that overall, the award show was good. The energy was high. The, the, 
The vibes were good. There were some good wins, some great wins. It just seemed like a show that just kept with the flow. It wasn't boring. I really enjoyed it. The energy was high. Um, There was some cool star power. Great Hollywood energy. Great Hollywood stars came out. There were some great speeches and memorable moments. The, the pace was good. The wins were great. I, I really felt good about this year's Oscars. I thought it was good this year. I was, I was very happy. I felt like the right films won in, mo- in, in most of the cases. Um, I thought overall, before I get into some of the details, I thought overall it was a good show. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I don't really like him, but this time as host, he was pretty decent. He had some good, a good opening. Um, great jokes. Personally, I wasn't crazy about the Will Smith jokes. I wish people would just leave that alone because it's funny how these white people were acting like they were so horrified and motor, you know, mortified by the whole thing. And now all of a sudden they want to laugh and make jokes about it. It's like, okay, but y'all was saying some of the same people was like, he could have killed somebody. Like now this is happening, I guess, you know? So I just was like over the Will Smith jokes the whole night. I mean, I'm happy. Get him out the way this year because next year this shit's really going to be over. Like, we really don't got to make those jokes. I really hate... I mean, I knew last year, coming off of the Will Smith situation, the slap incident with Chris Rock, I knew that there was going to be this, like, jokes throughout each of these shit, these ceremonies. And each time, they've gotten cornier and cornier. Like, the only person that really made it, that had the funniest joke, was Eddie Murphy when he won his award at the Golden Globes. <laughs> But everybody else, it's just been corny. And people have just been trying to reference it and talk about it. It's just like, oh, leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone. You just, it's just, it's it's like, let it go. Let it go, people. It's been a year. I'm ready. Like, Chris Rock already made his little comedy sketch. Like, he's clearly capitalized off of this and milked it up. Everybody just needs to just like, let's move on. I, that's how I feel about it, personally. But other than that, I thought the energy was good. The star power was great. I was excited about the awards. So let me get into some of the awards that, before I get into the good, the bad, I'll get into the bad, the ugly, and the great. So let me talk about the things that really pissed me off. So, you know, I am conflicted, y'all. I really wanted Angela Bassett to win Best Supporting Actress. So my predictions chart, which y'all saw on Twitter, I had everything correct. Spot on. Like, my Oscar prediction level is high as fuck. Like, I know this stuff this stuff to a science. My predictions were spot on, except one category, which was Best Supporting Actress. I knew the upset, which I did say the upset would, could potentially be Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, it was. It, Angela Bassett did not win Best Supporting Actress. I was heartbroken, okay, for several reasons. One is because she would have been the first actor in a Marvel movie to win for a Marvel role. None of these people ever get nominated for Oscars. Sherry made history getting a nomination because all these Marvel films and none of these people get Oscar nominations. So the fact that she was able to take a role like that and get it to win a Golden Globe, which is, you know, historical, to then getting an Oscar nomination. And she was so fucking close. But to be honest, that category for Best Supporting Actress was very tight. You had Carrie Condon from the Banshees of Inisherin, where she won the BAFTA. You know, Angela... You know, Angela Bassett had won the Golden Globe. She had won um, the Critics' Choice Award. Um, you know, she had won in some great categories. But let me tell you, the SAG Awards, when Jamie Lee Curtis won the SAG Awards, that should have set a moment 
Because SAG do not miss. SAG does not miss. It seems like of all the precursor awards, SAG has become the most consistent precursor of win. If you get a SAG nomination and you get a or you get a SAG win, your chances of winning is it. And so we should have been paying attention to SAG awards because the same actors that won the SAG awards won at the Oscars. And the SAG Awards have been consistent across the board over the years. Now, sometimes they fumble and get silly. But the Screen Actors Guild Awards, which represents SAG, which is SAG Afro, those actors are voting for actors. And I feel like when Angela Bassett did not win as SAG, that should have been the sign that the Oscars wasn't going to happen because those same actors at SAG Afro are the same actors that vote in the supporting actor categories. So they didn't vote for her for SAG. They wasn't going to vote for her for the Oscars, I guess. Hmm. At least that tr is traditionally how it happens. Sometimes there's been surprises. Let's be clear. But it's also a good precursor, the SAG. The SAG and Oscars are really close. So that was the bummer for me. But I'm not too upset about Jamie Lee Curtis because she, you know, has been in the industry for a long time. She's a Nepo baby in Hollywood. She embraces that title. Both of her parents are nominated for Oscars, and she won one. So... It's just an interesting full circle moment for her. And she's been in the game for a long time. And I loved her in the film Freaky Freaky Friday with Lindsay Lohan. Still one of my favorite performances by her. Um, and everything, everywhere, all at once, to be quite honest, I did not think the performance was Oscar winning worthy. Um, but this is one of those awards where I feel like it was kind of like the, oh, you know, give it to her. It's her time. She's won. You know, she's, she's been deserving for many years, for many decades, to be honest. So that was a moment for her. I get it. But I was like, damn, you know, this is Angela's second nomination. She hadn't had a nomination in like nearly 30 years, y'all. Last time she was nominated was like in 94, I believe, for What's Love Gotta Do With It? Like, I don't know. She just had a body of work that, to be quite honest, is, I feel like, more impressive than... Jamie Lee Curtis, but you know, they're both legends in their own right. So it was bittersweet. Those are the moments where it's like, I'm happy for Jamie Lee Curtis because she is a legend, but I'm also sad for, for Angela Bassett. But at the end of the day, Angela Bassett did get some roses. She did get some flowers from this. Um, and we're talking about her again. And, you know, she's got more work in her, and I know she's gonna bring it. She's gonna bring it. Um, so that was worth it. Okay. Other disappointment. Best song, I really wanted Rihanna to win. Not just for Rihanna, but because Ryan Coogler was nominated and Tim's was nominated. And so it would have been nice to see Tim's and Rihanna and Ryan Coogler get nominated for and win to win. I'm sorry, to win for uh, Lift Me Up. Her performance was great. Her vocals was on point. Um, she really delivered. And maybe you know, being pregnant. Listen, that fetus is the hardest working fetus in showbiz. Rihanna has been at the Super Bowl with this baby and now been to Oscars with this baby in like a span of a month. Like she's bringing this baby with her. Okay. So I'm here for it. But, you know, and it was nice. ASAP Rocky was there. I was so irked because I couldn't even see what Rihanna wore um, at the Oscars because they really didn't really, um, you know, you know, show her outfit that she wore when she was seated. Because she had this beautiful 
Um, they show outfits she wore to the grave. There was an outfit she wore in her seat that was like this greenish outfit. I finally found the picture. Um, but, you know, it's um, interesting because she she looked good in all these outfits. And she's, and she's rocking her, her baby bump. But she's always this second baby. And she isn't, you know, she just loves pregnancy. She just loves it. She just, she seems to be having fun. And just, she's a mom. And ASAP was there, of course, with the cornrows and the, you know, he's just living the dream. He's like, look, I'm just going to love being the, the boyfriend of this lovely, beautiful billionaire. He's just living the dream, I suppose. So, you know, I was bummed about it. I mean, the Artsu are a Natsu Natsu song. It's okay. Everybody's just so hype about it. White people are hype about it. Let me be clear. Um, but you know, it's, it's cool. It's a cool win for India, but I was bummed about that. Now, the things that I was super excited about and the things that I was shocked about. So let me talk about my shockers. All quiet on the Western front. My God. Oh my goodness. All these wins they had got. I was shocked by some of those wins. I was like, wow. Okay. Netflix check must have cleared. I was not expecting all quiet on the Western front. I saw the movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just another war movie. Like, what's the difference between that movie and 1917? Like, what's the difference? I mean, what? One is in Germany, one is in, one is British. Like, I just was not impressed with the film like that. I just felt like it was just so much hyper saturation around the film. I just wasn't that impressed. Also, um, interesting snubs. So Tar, which I knew was a long shot in certain categories, it was snubbed. It didn't get any Oscars at all. Elvis got no Oscars. That was a shocker. Babylon did not get any Oscars. Now I thought Babylon might have gotten the Oscar um in um What's the one that was going to get Oscar in? Um, score for Justin Hurwitz for people who are fans. Yeah, yeah, it was Elvis didn't get anything, which was a shocker. I thought maybe you know hair and makeup, maybe it didn't get there. Um, Babylon, Tar, the Banshees of Inisherin, nothing, no love for them. All four of those movies. Meanwhile, Top Gun Maverick got an Oscar. Avatar won for visual effects. The Whale won two Oscars. You know, um, yeah, I, I was um, surprised. Women Talking got an Oscar, which was well-deserved for Sarah Polly, which I saw that we won Best Original Screenplay. I mean, Best Adapted Screenplay. Great film. Sarah Polly's been nominated. She deserved this Oscar. I'm so happy she won. But like everybody got something. But I was shocked with some of the movies, like Tar and you know, um, Banshees of Inisherin. I thought maybe one award. No wins. No wins. And the reason why is because All Quiet on the Western Front just ate. Okay, All Quiet on the Western Front, um, just ate in some of these these um. These these categories. I just was like gagging. I was like, oh my goodness, this film was just eating up all of the um the categories. So that was a little surprising within itself. Um, but it, it, it definitely won it definitely won some some critical categories. Um it won four I mean, so All Quiet on the Rest of the Front won four Oscars. Um 
you know, one for score, international feature film, production design, cinematography. So, you know, it won, it won some good awards. Um, I'm so happy for Brendan Fraser for winning Best Actor, um, which was just incredible. You know, all the things that man went through in his career to see him be able to rise again this way and win was a big deal. A really, really big moment. Um, and what I want to say is that this is the first time in decades that we've ever seen all of the acting winners be first-time nominees and first-time winners. So all of the people who won were first-time Oscar nominees in their acting roles and also first-time winners. That's never happened before in years. Like, I haven't seen that happen since the very beginning of Oscars. But it's a historical win. Um, so it won seven of its 11 Academy Award nominations, everything, everywhere, all at once. Because now I want to talk about that specifically. It won Best Picture, which was epic. Super happy. Daniel Kwan and Daniel uh, Shebert, the Daniels, they won three Oscars um, tonight. Well, Sunday night. They won Best Picture as Producers. They won Best Director. And they won Best Original Screenplay. Now, those were... They also, the film also won Best Film Editing. Um, it also won... Best Supporting Actress for Jamie Lee Curtis. It also won Best Supporting Actor for Ki Hui Wan, which was an emotional moment and well-deserved for him. But the big winner of the night was Michelle Yeoh, who won Best Actress. Now, this is a big deal. Jessica Chastain and Holly Berry went up to present the awards for Best Actor and Best Actress. Now, Holly Berry clearly replaced Will Smith um, because normally what happens is the best actor and the best actress typically come to the awards and present the awards to the respective opposite gender at the show, which is a moment to see and witness. And it's also cool. So normally what happens is last year's best actor winner announces best actress for the next year. Like, like they pass it on and the best actress winner from the previous year announces the best actress for last year. It's like this cool little thing that happens. Now, I wonder what happened with Tom Hanks when Tom Hanks won and then went back up and announced Best Actress or didn't write a back up and won, you know, and they had to announce it. He had two back-to-back years of Oscars. Well, one year, then he did one year to present, then one that year. Then. So he had, like, three years to keep showing up. Um, that was in the 90s when Tom Hanks was, like, the actor. Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, you know, that's when Tom Hanks was Tom Hanks, okay? He wasn't out here was winning Razzies. Like, he won a Razzie recently for his performance in Elvis as the best supporting actor or worst supporting actor. But anyway, um, I was super excited about um, Michelle um, Yo's performance and win. First of all, it's a big deal because she is the second actress of color to win the Best Leading Actress Oscar. Holly Berry was the first, but she's the first ever Asian actress to win. Now, there's been some controversy around this, this language, and people have been trying to figure out what does this mean. Let me explain. So, it said, Michelle Yeoh wins the Oscar for Best Actress, making history as the first person who identifies as Asian to win the award. Now, let me tell you why. Um, there was an actress in... So, people have been dragging her. Um, not her. Sorry. People's been dragging the press for this. This identifies as Asian. 
Let me tell you why. In 1936, Meryl, um, Merle, um, Oberon, Oberon, um, was a pick for best actress in 1936. Now she was the first Asian woman nominated for a best actress Oscar, but she hid her identity. Um, and it was interesting, um, because they considered her, you know, um, she was nominated for the film, the dark angel. Um, and Betty Davis actually won that year. But people have, you know, been saying that, um, you know, Michelle Yeoh, they were saying Michelle Yeoh was the first, but she wasn't. The Technically, the first was this actress named Meryl Oberon. Now, she hid her identity in 1936. So this is something that happened um, over... It's been a while, actually. This happened 70, 80, 85 years ago. This happened. And this woman did not win. Betty Davis won. But she was considered alabaster skin, bright red lips, delicate oval face, bizarre, bewildering, and different. You know, eloquent emerald eyes. But she was not, she did not identify as Asian in Hollywood because she hid her identity. Um, and so they said she had to hide because she wanted to have the roles that she wanted. So NPR should have simply said that Michelle Yeoh wins the Oscar for the best actress, making history as the first person who identifies as Asian to win the award. They should have said she's the first Asian actress to win the award. Now, she's not the first. Asian actress to be nominated. She's the first Asian actress who identifies as Asian to be to win to be nominated. But the win is the first. So that wording is weird from NPR. But they've been it's weird. She's Malaysian, of course. Um, but she's the first Asian actress to win. That we know for a fact. This whole identifies as Asian thing. The language is weird there because if it was a nomination, it'll be different. Um, but a lot of people have been using that language. Um, she is, you know, it's just the language has just been weird. Um, she's the first Asian woman. Now, they were talking about the nomination that's different. Um, you know, people are saying that folks are being outraged. But I think people are outraged about the fact that the, the real outrage is that she won. So there's no need to say identifies as for the win. Now, if the, you were talking about nominations, they should have used the identifies as such for the nominations. But it's just people just not understanding um, it. And it's clunky and it's shitty phrasing. And it's just stupid. And I don't know why uh, journalists, journalists, um, but they're saying that apparently they said that it's important because there have been people who were nominated and won while passing as white who had Asian heritage. So there are some people that are saying other actors like Vivian Lee, apparently. Now, we know about Meryl, but they said Vivian Lee apparently had Asian ancestry. But I'm just like, no, <laughs> I don't know. 
I just feel like they're just watering. They're just making this more politically incorrect than it needs to be. But I'm going to let people be great in their own rights. Personally, I'm just going to say that much. Um, but I'm happy about her win. And I thought it was beautiful that Holly Berry was there to present it. Now, I was a little nervous about this because the Oscars have the tendency to fuck up big moments. Like, I remember at the Oscars a couple of years ago when Chadwick Bosman, who had passed away, was nominated for Best Lead Actor in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And it was an incredible performance. And I thought he was going to win. Everybody thought he was going to win. I thought we all thought he was going to win. Well, he got all these great wins. He won the Golden Globe. He won the SAG. He won the big major ones, okay? And, you know, it just felt like, you know, he had a chance. And I remember thinking maybe, you know, Viola Davis might have won that year for this performance. Of course, um, Frances McDormand won. But, you know, you just never know how this was going to play out. So at the Oscars, I was super excited. I was thinking, okay, Chadwick Bosman is going to get this award posthumously. Well, what ended up happening is that they waited to the very end. They announced Best Picture. They announced every other category, but they saved Best Act at the very end. And I think they thought there was going to be this moment. Chadwick was going to win. His wife was going to give this emotional speech. It was going to be like this very sombering way to end the awards, like in a very like you know cheery moment, right? Well, the winner was Anthony Hopkins. And that moment was just a stain. It was like a blunder. It was just like a whole, ugh. And it was also after, like, Frances McDormand had won her third Oscar, her third Best Actress Oscar. And we're just like, fuck. I mean, it would have been nice to see Viola Davis get it or something. But, like, none of the love was shared. And so it just kind of ended on this very weird note. And so I was just concerned that they were going to open up the envelope and Holly Berry was going to open it up and she was going to say Kate Blanchett's name, which... I have to say, and I have to admit, Kate Blanchett did kill Tar. She killed it. She was phenomenal. And it was a great performance. And it's one of my favorite performances in recent years. We're going to be talking about Tar and that performance for a while. Yes, Michelle Yeoh deserved it. It's about time a woman of color won. But I must say, Kate Blanchett killed it in Tar. And she was Tar. The movie was her. She carried the whole movie on her back. Okay, it was gangster. So there's so much love for Kate Blanchett. But Kate Blanchett has two Academy Awards. So she ain't worried about anything. Um, speaking of a historical moment, Ruth E. Carter made history not only as the only black person in costume design. She won two. She won her second costume design for Wakanda Forever. So Wakanda Forever took home an Oscar for costume design. Ruth won her Oscar a couple years back previously for designing... Um, costumes in the first um, Black Panther movie. So this is two. But there's also another historical moment about this, which is kind of shocking, but it's a moment. Ruth Carter is the only Black woman to win two Academy Awards. Yes, you heard that correctly. She is the only Black woman to have two Academy Awards. Period. Not just in acting. She doesn't act, but costume design. Like, Viola Davis has one Oscar. But if Viola Davis wins again, she'll have two. Um, I don't know how many black men have multiple Oscars. There might be black men have multiple Oscars. I know Denzel has two Oscars. Mahershala Ali has two Oscars. Two supporting Oscars. Denzel has a supporting and, a, and lead actor. So there's other black men in, 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 in the Oscars in the Academy that has multiple Oscars. But she is the only black woman with two. And it's for costume design 
for the same movie, um, Wakanda Forever and Black Panther. So that's interesting. It's just interesting that there's only one black woman with two Oscars. Fun fact. So, moving on, wrapping everything up. Um, as far as movies go, um, I haven't watched any movies lately this week. I mean, I caught up on Oscar. So I watched The Fablemans. I watched All Quiet on the Rest in Front. Um, what else did I watch? I've already seen Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I watched The Fablemans. Um, it didn't win the Oscars either. It got snubbed. I forgot about them. They got snubbed too. Damn. Fablemans, Triangle of Sadness. Highly recommended. It. it was also snubbed. Watch Triangle of Sadness if you can. Watch The Fablemans. All Quiet on the Western Front, you can skip that. Um, but yeah, I did. I, I watched Oscar movies this week. I didn't watch any new, new movies this week. Um, but I did watch that, of uh, those movies. So I, I do think there are some movies to watch. And if you have not watched everything, everywhere, all at once, please do so immediately. That's your homework assignment. Um, as far as music go, where the hell is Chloe's album? Loved, love, love. Speaking of the other Bailey, um, Holly Bailey um, just put out the trailer for the Little Mermaid. She premiered it with um, with McCarthy, um, who just announced it, um, which I'm super excited about. Um, really excited about this uh, this performance. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is playing Ursula. M- Melissa McCarthy and Holly Bailey, um, you know, did the presented um, at the event uh, the trailer, the official trailer of the new Little Mermaid, which is coming out May 26, 2023. They have not fully put out all the characters. We have not seen Sebastian yet. Ursula, we got a sneak peek of Ursula a little bit more. You know, Holly Bailey is doing her thing. Um, Jonah, uh, Jonah Howard King, who is playing Prince Eric, is cute. There seems to be some new characters that they are announcing. Um, but we hadn't seen them all yet. But there is some great, um, collaborations there. Ugh, Aquafina is in it as Scuttle. But Javier Bardem is King Triton. I was not ready. My body was not ready. I'm super excited. Uh, David Diggs from Hamilton, Tony winning performer. Um, he did not make an appearance. I did not see, I did not see Sebastian. Maybe I did, maybe I did. I can't remember. Um, but there are some interesting cast members. We're looking forward to seeing them. Looking forward to this May 26th. I can't wait. I'm going to see it, y'all. I'm super excited. I, I'm, I'm really, the vocals are vocaling. Holly Bailey is coming through with the vocals. I'm seeing Golden Gold nominations. I'm seeing it's rated PG. I don't know about Oscars, but I definitely see some Golden Globe love. Some MTV movie, you know, movie awards energy, maybe, you know. But it's looking good. It's looking really good. I'm make, I'm really excited about it. Um, as far as TV goes, Abbott Elementary this week. Well, every week is fire, but this week is getting juicy. Uh, I'm really loving what they're doing with the chemistry between Janine and, you know, Greg and, you know, you know the cast. And um, I really love it. Um, I, you know, I, you know, it's interesting. So Greg and Janine's energy is great. Ava Coleman is just, 
comedic timing every week. The comedic timing of Ava Coleman, Janelle James, who plays her. I really think this year that she might have that shot to get that Emmy. I hope she do. I hope that they finally give her the Emmy for Best Supporting Actress in the Comedy. I know there's a lot of Shirley Ralph love, but this season, y'all, I just feel like Janelle James as Ava Coleman is just giving it. And, you know, Cheryl's had a moment. She's had her moment. She's got a lot of great awards. But I really think Janelle James deserves the, the, the recognition. Now, she won the NAACP Award recently for her role in Ab Elementary. She beat Shirley Ralph, which was a surprise to people. I think that's a good sign. I'm happy she's getting some awards love, that she's getting some recognition. I remember for a period before the Emmy win, there was a lot of energy going up for Janelle James. And then Cheryl just had that that win at the Emmys and that great speech. And then everything shifted. And it was like a big, huge, you know, Shirley Ralph momentum. But I really hope that they move the love, like the way that they did with Modern Family, where you can see other castmates in the same show get love. And I think this could be an opportunity for sure. Listen, I would like to see Chris... Perfetti this season, who plays Jacob Hill on the show, Jacob, you know, the white teacher. I'd like to see him get nominated. And I also think that Tyler James Williams, he won the Golden Globe. He's been getting some good nominations. I would like to see him win the Emmy this year. I think it's possible. After that Golden Globe win, I think it's possible for him to win this year as well. So it's some interesting opportunities. And I would even say Quinta Brunson who's been winning some big awards in some categories this year. I could see her getting it finally. Because I think that Gene Smart and Hacks, I don't know if there's a new season of Hacks, but I've been watching the shows to see when some shows drop up and drop in. Now, this Ted Lasso is coming back, which is irking. I was really hoping Ted Lasso fell out. But this season, I feel like Ted Lasso's in his third season. You know, Abbott's in his second is going super strong. A full season, great ratings, great energy. Ted Lasso hasn't really been showing up in a lot of the categories this year. Or, you know, maybe it's just the buzz. But I feel like this is the year that Abbott Elementary win the, the Emmy for Best Comedy. It needs to fucking win. And listen, y'all already know the final season of one of my favorite shows. Okay, y'all already know. Secession. Okay. Secession is going to sweep. This is the final season. It kind of ended abruptly for only four seasons. That show could have did about five or six. I mean, if Scandal can do five, let me not throw shit on Scandal. All I'm saying, there are shows that dragged on longer. Empire. I mean, I could have took two more seasons of Secession, like a fifth and a sixth season. But they, they want to end on a bang at the fourth season. I'm here for it. That's good TV. End, end on a high. Ain't nothing wrong with that. So this upcoming season is going to be guns and blazing and fire. Hopefully, some of the other actors win. Jeremy Strong won. You know the amount, my boy. You know Mr. Man who was fucking over. You know everybody. Um, you know Tom. Listen, I love Tom. Tom winning. Listen, was a big deal. Okay, Matthew Mac Macfaden um, won. But I would like to see Kieran Culkin win. Um, you know, what about Sarah Snook, you know, winning? 
um, in supporting. I mean, Jay Smith Cameron was a good nomination. Nicholas Braun as Greg is hilarious. I don't necessarily feel it's Emmy winning, but Emmy nominated for sure. Jeremy Strong has already won. But, you know, maybe this final season, Kendall Roy wins again. But Logan Roy has been nominated, has never won. Is this the season, the final season, where they give it to Brian Cox? I don't know. But I'm looking forward to it. I just feel like when we head into the Emmys, the top shows we're looking at is Secession and Abbott this year. That's what I'm I'm, I'm putting on the precursor, you know. What do I know? I'm just a member of the National Academy of Television Arts and Science Midlands chapter. What do I know? But I would hope to see it. Also, shout out to Bel Air this this season. This I just watched the latest episode. Woo! It's good. If you have not been watching Bel Air, catch up. It's on Peacock. Watch the first season, binge it, and watch the second season. Don't sleep on it. My Ratchet Reality TV right now has been on the low. You know, Baddies West is Baddies Westing. I guess I could watch that. You know, I'm missing some of my... Like, where's Love and Hip Hop? Where is the... I don't know. I got to keep up with the show. They're, like, not coming on. There's, like, a little hiatus right now. I need some more Love and Hip Hop in my life. I need to know what's going on. Like, I need new shows. Um, I don't know. My Ratchet TV phase have just been phasing me. Like, what's happening? Where are my shows? I watched Family Reunion. You know, I watched them. But it doesn't seem like some of these franchises are returning. Like, it just seems like... You know, like I'm, I mean, Atlanta had already happened, um, and I watched Atlanta. Um, I loved Hollywood, um, but they decided to just cut that show. Um, they postponed it. The show never returned, so Hollywood got cut. New York, um, they, you know, um, they did not follow up with New York. Love and Hip Hop New York is gone, um, which was the original Love and Hip Hop. So, Love and Hip Hop Hollywood, Miami still happened. I I just watched that. Um, so you know, it, so only Miami and Atlanta is going strong. New York and Hollywood are gone, which is just a bummer. And I think a lot of it had to do with the pandemic. So that's what was driving some of the energy. But, you know, what a bummer. Because um, some of those shows are really good. Um, but, you know, Ratchet TV is going through it. Well, that is everything for this week's uh, podcast. It was great. Uh, so much is going on. Stay tuned. There's a lot of surprises happening this week. I can't say anything. But this week is going to be filled with surprises. So, you know, just stay tuned for what goes down. And as always, be well and be best. Earnestly Speaking is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. To stay up to date with the latest on the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Ernest Owens. Use the hashtag Earnestly Speaking to tell me what you thought about this episode, and check out my website at ErnestOwens.com.